have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. Headlines, breaking news. It's another hurricane. Oh, no, wait a minute. It's an earthquake. Oh, no, it's another riot going on. Oh, the world is falling apart. Every day, another shocking headline makes you wonder, what will tomorrow bring? That's why those who know what's coming are using today to prepare. I'm talking about getting your family some high-quality emergency food from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is the nation's leading preparedness company. They've been in business going on 14 years now, and they served millions of American families. Now, they want to help you by giving you $50 off their popular four-week emergency food kit. You'll get four weeks of food per person with meals designed to give you more than 2,000 calories a day. Oh, by the way, this food stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. So it will be there when you need it. Other food goes bad fast. So don't wait. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit. You'll save 50 cents per 50 cents. No, not 50 cents. $50 per kit if you act now. Now, you can go to preparewithsouthernsense.com, or if you're listening to the show on my website, just go to the top left-hand corner, click on prepare. Go to Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Don't wait. Do it today. 
All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sins. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, The Lone Star Daily News, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeart, Facebook. On the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, Southern com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my debonair and erudite co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. We're back. Hey, it's good to be back. Um, as you know, I wasn't here last week, but um, I did get to listen to the podcast as we discussed it before we went on air. You know, it was a great show, and I really wish I could have been there, but I'm here today. Uh-huh. <laughs> Want to say hi to everyone that's uh, up in the uh, chat room here on Blog Talk Radio. We also have it open on YouTube and Facebook, broadcasting live. All right, we got ourselves a great lineup today. Uh, we've got Will Witt. He was with, is with Prager University. He has the Will Witt live on uh, Prager University, and he also has a brand new book out titled How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies, Taking on Liberal Arguments with Logic and Humor. Very interesting, very good book. Matter of fact, he has a book signing today in Tampa, Florida. So he's down by you, uh, Curtis. Well, actually not close to you, but nearby. Anyway, in the same state. Close enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And uh, you guys will remember this gentleman. He's now with the Second Amendment Foundation, Stephen Williford. Uh, he's known as, of course, America as the good guy with a gun when he intervened in the uh, deadly shooting that took place at the First Baptist Church in Sutherland, Texas, a few years back. He'll be joining us. And now we also have Elazar Cisco Cesaro. Let's try that again. Cisneros. Uh, he's a U.S. veteran. He's a Trump supporter, uh, and he's being sued by the Texas Democrats for being in the MAGA truck caravan. If you remember uh, when Joe Biden was going through uh, Texas uh, down, I think it was uh, Highway 35, uh, there was this huge caravan of Trump supporters that surrounded the Biden bus. And some of the Democrats were not too happy with them. And there was a tangling of Fenders. So it's going to be interesting. We're going to be talking to him about that. And also, we have with the Epic Times, uh, good Lord, (laughs) uh, Mark Tapscott could not be with us today. Instead, we have Nan Sue. He's a journalist, he's also a fellow talk show host, and he's currently the senior reporter with the Epic Times covering the U.S., China, and Taiwan, as well as California. And then we'll close off with former Secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs. He's now with the Heritage Foundation as a visiting fellow, Robert L. Wilkie. Uh, Robert L. Wilkie. Can I talk today? Wilkie. He's the <laughs> Secretary of the Department of Vets. So anyway, ah, tongue-tied, backwards. But we got ourselves a great show lined up today. So I'm excited. Yeah, so am I. I um always look forward to coming on the air and meet, meeting new people and and largely prominent people as well as um, the ordinary, everyday, you know, American out there just trying to to do what they can to, to maintain our republic and our freedoms and liberties. That's what's so exciting yeah, about the show. 
matter of fact, um, we've got Jonathan Dunn, um, who's going to be visiting. He is visiting the United States right now. He's doing a cross-country tour. He will be at our Tea Party meeting on the 18th, and you're going to be up there with us also, Curtis. Um, I think I'm going to try to get him on air before he goes on the Tea Party. Uh, so we can get a good feel of him. <laughs> See what I oh, think. Yeah. <laughs> what, what sort of a mess did I get us into this time? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I look forward to seeing you when you come up in a couple of weeks. Anyway, uh, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every one with a dedication to a fallen hero. Um, I've got a dedication to a fallen hero, and then after that, I've got a shout out to a current hero who today, decades later, is still protecting and serving and doing those little things that people never notice a cop doing. But we'll start off with our dedication first. And it's going to go out to police officer Kevin Valencia of the Orlando Police Department, Florida. His end of watch was Monday, March 15th of this year, 2021. And the short story of it is... And this is from the Officer Down Memorial page. Police Officer Kevin Valencia succumbed to complications of gunshot wounds sustained on June 11, 2018, while responding to a domestic disturbance at 4932 Eagles Mare Drive. A convicted felon who was on probation for arson was holding his two children and his girlfriend's two children in the apartment. The man's girlfriend had called the police following an argument in which the man assaulted her. Officer Valencia was attempting to gain entry into the apartment to retrieve the children when the man fired through the front door, striking him in the head. The man then barricaded himself inside the apartment for several hours and ultimately murdered all four children, ranging in age from 1 to 12 years old, before committing suicide. Officer Valencia had served with the Orlando Police Department for three years. He survived by his wife and two children. And this is by Katie Rice and David Harris from the Orlando Sentinel. Kevin Valencia was an Orlando police officer who was left in a coma after he was shot in the head during a domestic violence call in 2018. He has died, according to the Orlando Police Department Chief Orlando Roland. In a statement posted on Twitter, Roland shared the news of Valencia's death and asked for the public to pray for Valencia's wife, Megan, and their children. Officer Valencia risked his life for people he didn't even know, a risk that many in law enforcement professions take without question. He wrote, Since that tragic night, Officer Valencia has been fighting for his life with his family by his side. Orange County Sheriff John Mina, who was OPD's chief at the time of the shooting, called Valencia a well-liked and respected police officer. Valencia's death brought back memories of the night of the shooting. It was an awful call to get, Mina said. Orlando Mayor Buddy Dwyer said the city mourns Valencia's passing. He served our community with dedication and heroism, putting his life on the line, making the ultimate sacrifice. Our prayers, thoughts, and support 
go out to his family, friends, and coworkers as we honor his life and his selfless service to our community, Dwyer said in a statement. Nina did not know him well, but said Valencia was always the guy to step up and be there for his fellow officers and the community. OPD awarded Valencia a Purple Heart during his retirement ceremony from the agency on October 20th. He had served with OPD for over three years, Roland said. Valencia responded to a domestic violence call on June 10, 2018, after a woman said she was assaulted by her boyfriend, Gary Wayne Lindsay Jr. The woman ran to a nearby 7-Eleven, leaving her four kids locked in their bedrooms in the apartment. She told officers Lindsay had dragged her by the hair to her bedroom, where he kicked her in the face about five times. Valencia and the other officers went to the Westbrook Apartments and tried to enter with a key, but it broke off. Valencia was trying to kick down the door when Lindsay fired a shot, hitting the officer in the head. After a day-long standoff in the apartment, officers entered and found the four children dead inside. Dove, age one, Aiden, age six, Lilia, 10, and Ariane, 12. Lindsay was also dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Not long before the shooting, Valencia was taken to a specialized facility. I'm sorry, not long after the shooting, Valencia was taken to a specialized facility in Atlanta, where he received treatment before returning to Orlando in February 2019. At his official retirement ceremony, his wife said Kevin was showing signs of improvement, responding to his wife by rubbing her head and giving her a kiss, according to an OPD statement issued at the time. His wife sued the apartment complex and Lindsay Estate in April of 2019, saying the apartment management did not have the proper security measures and should not have allowed Lindsay to reside in the complex because he was a violent career criminal. Court records, which are sealed, show the lawsuit was settled earlier this month. At the time of the shooting, Lindsay was on a 10-year suspended prison sentence stemming from an arson case in Volusia County where he lit his girlfriend's house on fire. The suspended sentence was especially unusual because Lindsay violated his probation multiple times but was never sent to prison, experts said at the time. An internal review conducted by the Orlando Police Department concluded the sergeant who authorized Valencia to kick down the door violated agency policy and the Fourth Amendment. Sergeant Amanda White acted careless in making the decision, the review said. She told internal investigators she sent Valencia in because she thought something was wrong inside the apartment. We will do all we can to honor Kevin's service to the OPD and the city of Orlando and ensure that our community never forgets the ultimate sacrifice Megan's husband and Caleb and Colton's father made for his community, Roland wrote. And finally, Rebecca Terso and Cheryl Stone of Orange County in My News 13. Valencia died March 15th, almost three years after he was gravely wounded in a standoff with an armed man holding four children. Police say the gunman, 35-year-old Gary Lindsay Jr., a convicted felon, 
later killed the children before turning the gun on himself. Even though Valencia was shot in the head, he kept going, said his wife, Megan, during her eulogy. Through 12 surgeries and a pandemic, nothing kept Kevin down, she said through tears. She said Valencia was able to stand and eat pureed foods with the help of his therapist. I really didn't think I would be here. The couple met when they were kids. Megan said she remembers whispering, I love you, to Kevin over the phone because their parents said they were too young to be in love. I am so grateful that God allowed me to not only marry an amazing man, but also allowed me to watch a 12-year-old boy grow into the most amazing husband and father, she said. They say soulmates are one soul recognizes its perfect match in another. I cannot accurately describe the love or connection I had with Kevin because there simply aren't words to explain it. At the funeral service, his fellow officers echoed that feeling and spoke of the love Kevin had for his family. Megan, Caleb, Colton, I want you guys to know that he loved you guys so much and would not stop talking about you guys when we were at work. Orlando Police Officer William Thomas said, When life knocks Kevin and Colton down, I will remind them Valencia blood runs through their veins and they should never give up, said Detective Emmanuel Gonzalez. Orlando Police Chief Orlando Roland praised Valencia's selflessness, leadership skills, and spirit in his eulogy. Relating stories about how Valencia saved a person who was overdosing behind the wheel of a moving car, even though he was injured, and his eagerness to join the K-19. Roland also said that Valencia should be held up as an example of the honor and commitment of law enforcement officers across the country in the face of mounting criticism of law enforcement agencies over the past year among amid questionable acts. Those who violate the honor of being a law enforcement officer have no place in this profession. We can all agree 100% with this, Roland said. For those who live or for those who believe that law enforcement profession is broken, let Officer Kevin Valencia, Megan, and the kids serve as a reminder that the overwhelming majority of the officers serve our communities with distinction and serve our profession well. Thinking otherwise is an injustice to them. In October, Valencia was awarded the prestigious Purple Heart for his heroism. He leaves behind his wife and two young sons. His obituary states he worked as a police officer in Doral before joining the Orlando Police Department in 2016. I never thought I'd have to say goodbye at 29. I never thought our life, our love story, and our dreams would end so tragically. Megan Valencia said, I don't know why God called Kevin home, but I will tell you what I do know. God created a man that was courageous and a hero. Chief Roland told Megan, Caleb, and Colton, they have more than 1,200 uncles and aunts and grandparents now at the Orlando Police Department. The officers who spoke promised Kevin's kids that they were part of their family and they will always be there to remind them of their dad, who died a hero. Today's show is dedicated to police officer Kevin Valencia.
It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in our military. From the birth of this nation through today and into our glorious future, may our republic long stand. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herendon. My name is America. May God bless each and every one.
right, and we're back. You're here listening to Sense and Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Entertainment, Global Enlightenment Radio. Oh, good Lord, forget about it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash middle, southern-sense.com, where you can join us on YouTube and Facebook Live at the same time. Anyway, we're back. I'm your hostess with the least most just the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my co-host, <laughs> Courageous Curtis C.S. Bennett. We've got our first guest, our first victim in, in the bullpen. He is with Prager University, uh, has a very interesting background and story. He does the Will Witt Live on PragerU. He also has a brand new book out that he's down in Tampa, Florida, doing a book signing today on how to win friends and influence enemies, taking on liberal arguments with logic and humor. And I gather he's calling from the road. Good afternoon, Will. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? And you're right. Yes, I am on the road right now, headed to Tampa from Orlando. <laughs> well, you probably passed by my co-host because he's up along the... Uh, Georgia Florida border, <laughs> and he probably drove past me in South Carolina, <laughs> heading on down. <laughs> yeah, I probably did. Sounds like he's but, on uh, I four. <laughs> ah, so you know the roadways by the sound of the roads. <laughs> oh oh yeah. man, I was I was having. I was having so much fun reading your book, and I decided not to print out all of my notes because it would take us the full three hours just to talk about everything that is in this book. But you break down the liberal mind so well uh, because at one point you were one of them, weren't you? Yeah. If people don't know my story, I essentially was a liberal atheist my entire life, and I wasn't just a... An atheist. I mean, I went out of my way to tell people how stupid God was, and everything changed when I went to college. You know, it's funny. Most people, their parents taught them conservative values or Christian values, and they go to school, and they dye their hair blue and become a leftist. Mine was the exact opposite, where I went to school and became a conservative, because I guess the common sense values that my mom taught me growing up, personal responsibility, being accountable for your own actions, not feeling entitled, those ended up being conservative values, and no one else on my campus had those. And so I started getting very involved with conservative causes uh, pretty soon after I got into college. You know, it's funny because being older than you, different decade, uh, following the Vietnam War, now I'm just giving myself away, I noticed the college campuses turning liberal back then. And I, I thought I'd never see it go so far to the left. I mean, back then at least you could debate and if your professor said something that you disagreed with, something liberal and you're a conservative, you were at least able to open your mouth and say something. But you daren't do that today. You either decide, well, I want a college degree to make more money and I keep my mouth shut, or I just walk away, which is what you did. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I could do way more work outside of school than I could ever do within school. Because I, I found out about PragerU when I was in college, and I basically binge-watched all of their videos, and I decided to go and make my own video on campus where I asked women what they thought about the wage gap. And I taught myself how to edit the video, shoot the video, and I sent it to PragerU, and they ended up loving it. And they posted it, and then they said, hey, Will, we'll give you a job. And so after two years of college, I dropped out of school to move to Los Angeles, which is you know, another story in itself. But, you know, I, I had no money, no, didn't know anyone, but I knew that I had a purpose and something that I needed to do. 
Well, that's interesting because we have a comment already from uh, Sasquatch in the uh, chat room. He goes, what? College made someone conservative? <laughs> yes, it actually made you conservative. <laughs> yeah. But, but in your book, you, you talk about your journey. And uh, people always uh, quote Frederick Nietzsche, you know, God is dead. Uh, but it's always taken out of context. And you kind of like explain it, that he was bemoaning the fact that our society was losing its moral values back then. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I think people have taken that phrase and they champion it and say, yes, God is dead. Nietzsche meant God is dead is a good thing. But he didn't mean it like that. I mean, he, he meant it sincerely as a warning that, that if, if we don't have these, these Christian religious doctrines that, that we used to really live by, then the West will fall. You know, Western civilization was founded on these Judeo-Christian values, and without them, the West will fall, and he knew that. And we're seeing that now. We're seeing the religion of leftism. Religion of leftism is the new dominant religion in America. Even people who say that they're Christian still follow this religion of leftism ahead of, of God. And so there's a lot of problems that come with that because it's a very vain religion. It's a very selfish religion. And then instead of, of love like Christianity is based on, it is based on hate. And so it, it is truly the, the, the new destructive force in the West that is tearing down our society. Well, you know, it, it, people don't realize it takes more muscles in your face to smile than to frown. So it's so much easier to frown, to look down. And it's so much easier to say, I'm a victim, so I'm not responsible for whatever this is. And that's the mantra of the left, whereas here we on the right say, well, I may be kicked down, but I'm going to get back up. I'm going to keep on fighting. I'm going to keep on moving forward. I'm going to do the best I can. And that's the difference between the two sides. That's definitely the difference between the two sides. You know, the left, in my opinion, destroys every single thing that it touches. Uh, I mean, I, I'm an Eagle Scout myself. And the Boy Scouts was, for me, one of the greatest things to ever happen in my life. I grew up without my dad. And so the Boy Scouts kind of gave me that, that masculinity and those role models, those, those men I needed in my life. And now look at the Boy Scouts. The left has came in and completely destroyed it. There's basically now a, a activism merit badge. They have allowed girls in the Scouts, and they've destroyed everything that it means to be a Scout. And it's not like they gave any sort of alternative. The left didn't create anything new. They only destroyed it. They've done this with sports in America. They've done this with late-night television and comedy. The left does not know how to create anything. All they know how to do is destroy. Yeah, isn't it funny, though? It's the left that's in control of the intellectual elite. You know, the ones that are making the Hollywood movies, the music and the literature, and the ones that are the talking heads on the talk shows, uh, making all the TV shows. It's the left. They, they claim they're creating something, but every single thing they do create actually is a destructive item. That's exactly right. You know, Genesis 1-1 in the Bible, I think, is one of the most important verses in the Bible where God created the heavens and the earth, Right. And, and through this, God created order. Where there was nothingness and there was chaos, God created order. And this is why the left wants to get rid of God in America, because God creates order, and they thrive on chaos and destruction. You know, it, it, it is a sad state that we live in, that everything that we love in America, all the values that we hold dear, are being destroyed by the left, and they are doing it by destroying God and destroying American values. Well, your book 
uh, tells people, you know, this is going to be the artic- uh, argument, and you break it down on all different types of subjects, such as racism, freedom of speech, um, the coronavirus, guns, the Second Amendment, illegal immigration, family values. You go through subject by subject by subject, including cancel culture, and you say, all right, fine, this is their, their argument. This is where they stand. This is what they're going to tell you. But you want to start to change their minds. Think about turning the tables on them by asking them questions that make them stop and think. And you do it exact, with wit and humor. That's exactly that's right. I mean, the seven, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I'm very witty. Uh, with with uh, 17 chapters in the book, each one breaks down a different political or cultural topic. And I wrote this book because I feel like there's a lot of books out there that will just say conservative books that will come out and say, here's what's wrong with America and not give people a ton of solutions and just kind of, you know, complain sometimes. And so I wanted to give normal people the tools that they could use to actually change their communities or change their, the, the people they see on their campus or at their work or in their family, right? I want people to actually be able to have good conversations because I go on my social media every single day and I see people just arguing incessantly and, and mindlessly and nothing is actually getting done to, to change minds or to fix this country. So I hope that the tools and strategies within my book can actually help wake people up, that there is a difference of opinion out there, and you just have to go out there and be brave and talk to people. They will. Curtis, it sounds like you got to go ahead, I, Curtis. I helped tutor um, some of my friends who decided to go back to school um, at a later stage in their life, and the material that that I, I'm reviewing for them and their research papers and stuff, it is so blatant, uh, progressive. You know, it, it's, I mean, that they're teaching people to pretty much blame America for everything and that we, we don't care about the environment and, and things like that. It's no wonder, you know, our youth are poisoned with this, this garbage. Um, we, we have to take back the educational system, I believe, because I think that's where they are grooming these little Marxists and, and socialists. Um, I really hope that our next president, may he be a very strong conservative, will do something about the educational system in America. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't have said it any better. I am actually a fan of abolishing the public schools, which might sound like a radical idea, but I think we're getting to a point where public schools, they, they teach people how to be obedient to authority, and they don't teach students how to be creative and have difference of opinion and, and have different ideas. It is just how to be obedient to authority and, to, and, and remote memorization. And so I think that the education system is the number one battle we have, because it doesn't matter if we have conservative news media, a conservative president, uh, conservative social media users, like none of that matters if the next generation is just going into the education system and getting brainwashed. And, and one thing that, that I get asked all the time about my videos when I'm going and talking to people and they say, you know, how do you not laugh at all these just incredibly stupid people? And it's like, listen, not all these people are that stupid. They've just been brainwashed completely by, by their education system and, and the universities and the, um, what's it called, and, and Hollywood and the mainstream media and the, the corporate special interests. Every single major institution in this country is working against conservatism and, and American-loving values, and so then you're going to have people who have these types of ideas. 
you know, it's it's absolutely stunning how it has become so pervasive and acceptable in our society. And I've always said politics starts locally at home. And unless we, even if you don't have kids, get involved in finding out what's going on with the school board, what's going on with your local uh, council or, or local government, whatever the form is. And if you don't know what's going on locally, you're not going to pay attention to the rest of the, the political stage because it does start at home because then the, these idiots that you elect climb the political ladder and eventually become your next senator, your next representative, and possibly the next president of the United States. So we've got to be able to tell our politicians here now we're not going to tolerate this. And I'm telling you, I have been going after my school board, and the last time I was there, they were snickering and laughing at me and another speaker, and I went ballistic on them. I went absolutely ballistic. I was polite, but I said, if you are... You snicker and laugh at one of us, then you're laughing at all of us. And each and every one of you that did not chastise your fellow board member, shame on you, because once we get them out of office, we're going after you. And those that did chastise them, thank you. And I went tooth and nail. But this is what we have to do. We have to pay attention. I mean, you're exactly right there. That is exactly what we have to do. But I think that you are unlike most people and that most people care more about what, you know, Pam, who bakes the, the terrible cookies at their PTA meeting, thinks about them than, than what the actual truth is. And that's sad that we have people out there who won't go and speak their mind because they're too scared of what other people will think about them. But you're, you're exactly right that you have to be brave. Because if we're not brave, then nothing is actually going to get done and nothing is going to change. You know, I am a big fan of unpopular ideas and unpopular opinions. I like to think about the founding of America and that the founding fathers, this group of 20-something guys, had this unpopular idea to create their own country and to get away from the British Empire. And that was a wildly unpopular idea. But because of that idea and actually being brave and pushing for it, they were able to found the greatest country in the history of the, of the world, right? So it is about people getting their unpopular opinions out there, even if they get snickered at, even if they get laughed and booed at. I mean, that is what we have to do. If you have the truth and you know it, then you have to speak it. That's a huge amen. You know, your book is so interesting. Like I said, I only typed out um, eight pages of notes because, yeah, eight pages double side of notes. Um, and I don't even know where to start with all the questions now. You know, your videos have now had over 500 million views, and you've had a successful podcast with thousands of listeners. You've produced the multiple documentaries, and you've worked with some of the biggest political voices in the world. You know, uh, when you do that, and I enjoy speaking to, you know, to different people, uh, which guest do you think was the most powerful that you had that got their message across better than anyone else? You mean like people I've interviewed, or you mean like people on Prairie yeah. View? So Either I would one. say probably, I would say the most, the two most powerful people in in American, in the lexicon right now, other than Dennis Prager. I obviously have to say Dennis Prager. I work for Dennis Prager, um, who's just the <laughs> wisest guy. And, uh, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, you can tell him this. We'll record it and send it to him later. He'll love it. Um, I would say the two who are the most important are Jordan Peterson 
and Tucker Carlson, who I have, I have worked with them both. Jordan Peterson's entire philosophy can be put down to two words, and those are personal responsibility, which is something that no one really wants to have nowadays. And then Tucker Carlson is a voice of saying, hey, look, I'm not going to just tow the, the conservative party line because I have special interest paying me for it. He is going to say the absolute truth. That's why he's the most watched show on television, because he says the truth. So those are the two people who I think are the most important, and I hope that their voices get elevated even further. Wow. Wow. You see, now I, I enjoy doing Judge Jadine Pirro because we're both fellow New Yorkers. <laughs> she was the judge. I was the cop <laughs> in New York. <laughs> so, of course, you know you got along really well. Forget about it. Anyway, your book is so great, and, and you talk about the things that the left do. And one of the things that used to drive me, or it still does drive me crazy, the rioting. And they're rioting in the very same neighborhoods that they live in. So it's the mom-and-pop stores that their aunt and uncle might own that they are destroying. Why doesn't anyone ever say anything about that? This is how bad the religion of the left has gotten that they feel so self-righteous in the things that they believe in, that they feel like it's a, a any means necessary type of mentality. So going out and, and starting fires in their own communities or throwing Molotov cocktails through windows or, or bricks at black-owned businesses, those are all justified in the sense that this is for the quote-unquote greater good. But in reality, there has been more damage done in the name of the greater good than any other ideology in history. And that's a sad fact. And so these people are, are so vain in their ideas that they think, it's fine, I can go and riot, and the mainstream media backs them up, and everyone else does too, because they feel like they are true revolutionaries, when in reality, these are the people who are destroying what America stands for. I would like to you know, add that a lot of these, these situations where they riot in their own neighborhood, you have um, outside instigators that come in, and create all this havoc and get the people all riled up. And then once the damage is done, these, these outsiders, they leave. And they're on to the next you know, city, the next riot. And people have got to become a little more aware of how they're being manipulated. That, that's my thoughts. Yeah, that's exactly right. Many of these people are paid for. The girl who I co-host my show with on with Prairie her name's Amala, and she used to be an organizer for the left. She actually has a, a Black Lives Matter fist tattooed on her arm because that's how deep into it that she was. And now she's a hardcore conservative. But, you know, she would talk about how these people would be paid for. They would come to these riots or they would come to these protests or marches, and these people would be paid to be there. I mean, it, it is unbelievable that, that these people have to be paid, but that's how it goes in America nowadays. You're paid to be a political protester. That's how lucrative it is. You can hate America and still get paid to hate America. Well, it's funny because when they did the Occupy movement, it was so easy to find the ads up on Craigslist. And I'm sure they're still putting it up on Craigslist. So why isn't anyone going after Craigslist to say, you know, don't take those ads? Otherwise, you're going to be encouraging people to riot. And they're going to get paid to riot. You're going to go after uh, the New York Post for doing an expose. You're going to go after conservative voices on social media. Uh, but you don't go after the ones that are aiding and abetting the riots. It makes no sense to me. They've totally pitted us against each other. This has been the plan all along, essentially, to 
make conservatives out to be these pariahs and, and people who are doing all the evil things. Like, I'll, I'll go around California doing interviews or just talking to people regularly. And even though California is totally controlled by the left, controlled by the Democrats, the people in that, in that state will blame conservatives for all of the problems that are happening there. There is a, a level of disillusion in this country that has never before been seen, I think, and I think social media and the censorship and just the, the, the herd in general exacerbates all of these problems. Mm-hmm. You know, you uh, quote in your book, um, an article called Undue Certainty, right, written by Sam Weinberg in The American Educator. And what he said in there, a history of unalloyed certainty, certainties is dangerous because it invites a slide into intellectual fascism. History as truth issued from the left or from the right abhors shades of gray. It seeks to stamp out the democratic insight that people of goodwill can see the same thing and come to different conclusions. Such a history atrophies our tolerance for complexity. It makes us allergic to exceptions to the rule. Worst of all, it depletes the moral courage we need to revise our beliefs in the face of new evidence. It ensures ultimately that tomorrow we will think exactly as we thought yesterday and the day before and the day before that. And right after that, I wrote, boom, boom. He hit it right on the head. <laughs> he really did. I'm not sure if you guys have read 1984 or are familiar with the book, but essentially in the book 1984, they take away history from the people of that society, of that dystopian society, because they know that if you have a reference to what happened before in the past or, or anything that, that, that could have happened, then you might think in your own life, hey, things used to be better. Maybe I should actually change it. This is why the left wants to rewrite history in this country. This is why they want to tell us that, that America was this racist place and we shouldn't worry about the past, worry about our heritage or our founding or our, our old school culture. Don't worry about these things. Just focus on your big government now taking care of you and, and not having to think about anything that happened in the past because then you have no reference point to actually look back and say, wow, the world used to be a better place. I think you know, that um, the left is... I think the left ahead, is also ahead, concerned about concerned about their role in that past history, especially during slavery, because they were the party that instituted it. They're the ones that instituted Jim Crow and and um, segregation and things like that. So I think their 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 efforts are to with the um, taking down of statues and things like that, rewriting history, is to write themselves out of that that history. And I think that's one of the motivating forces there. Yeah, that's exactly right. They are the ones who are responsible for many of the things that we've seen in this country. I mean, just going back and looking at Lyndon B. Johnson and the things that he did in the in the 1960s, you'll find that the Democrats are really the ones who are responsible for all of this. And it's a sad fact that that's how it is, but, you know, America has had a lot of bad actors in its in its history. So the point of history in itself is to find out who these people were, and then learn from it and be better. You know, if we had Democrats and people on the left coming out today and saying, hey, look, the Democrats and the left, we did some bad things before, but we're totally different, that's fine. That's fine if they do that. But I'm not hearing anyone say that on the left. I'm hearing them blame it on Republicans and then say, oh, well, it's always been conservatives' fault. It's always been the right's fault. It's like if you took responsibility and said, yes, it was us, and then we all move forward and understand that we have a shared history, 
then we can we can rebuild this country better. We can do better things. But if no one actually does that and we have no shared history or no shared values or even a shared truth at this point, then things will only continue to get worse. You know, there used to be a time that we could sit down and, yeah, you may vote Democrat, I may vote Republican, but you can actually sit down and share a beer, share a meal together, have a conversation, agree to disagree, exchange ideas. But what they have done is like, no, as you said, they have to divide us so we don't have that conversation to prevent us from having the real actual conversation that your book is telling you how to have. That's basically what you're doing. You say, we can, we can still sit down and we can have a conversation and begin to agree to disagree or find that common ground. Uh, to think on a new thought that maybe there's another way to look at the situation, to work around it. And in your book, you tell example after example of ways in which to start that conversation. Yeah, about two-thirds of every chapter is kind of the facts on each of those 17 different topics, and then the last third is the questions and persuasion tactics you can actually use using those facts. And it's just like you said, where, where you used to be able to have a beer with someone you disagree with. You know, I'm, I'm in Tampa right now, and, you know, they got the Buccaneers here. You, you go to a Tampa Bay game, and it, it used to be that you could have, you have a Tampa Bay jersey on, the guy next to you has a Tampa Bay jersey on, maybe he's black, maybe he's gay, maybe he's trans, whatever. Or, or a Democrat. None of that mattered. You guys would be, for those three hours the game is going on, you guys are best friends because you're both cheering for the same team. You're spilling beer all over each other. None of that matters. But now, if that person is a conservative and you're a Democrat going in there, you are told to immediately hate this person. And you won't even have a conversation because you immediately think this person is evil. And that's a big difference between the left and the right, where leftists kind of think that, that everyone's born good, but that there's a few group, there's a group of a few evil people who are ruining everything. Whereas conservatives think that people are kind of born bad, and that we have this immoral nature, and that we have to fight against it. That's this is why leftists and conservatives are evil, and conservatives think leftists are brainwashed. <laughs> They're not. <laughs> really? <Yeah. laughs> right. You know. Um, one of the things you talk about is the founding fathers in the uh, in the book that some of them yes they did own slaves and they battled with that ideal especially Jefferson and Washington and there was others that did not such as John Adams who refused and others that you know was basically the North versus the South at that point in time as a matter of fact the Declaration of Independence would not have been signed unless they had Thomas Jefferson change one of the lines in there. Uh, so that they could still have slavery. But yet they put in place mechanisms that they knew. They just kicked the can down the road, but they knew they had to form the country first. That was their primary job. And from there, then they can work on all the other problems, such as slavery, which is why it took almost 100 years for the Civil War to break out. But they had to have certain things in place. They put the mechanisms there knowing it had to be fought. And this is what the left yeah. doesn't understand. That's exactly right. Well, many people on the left, again, they, they don't listen to history, so they don't know what these, these types of things were or how they happened or how the founding of this country took place. And, and one of the greatest things about the founding of this country that I think is the greatest thing in America is that you have inalienable rights given to you by your creator. That is, to me, the most important thing. Because it makes it so that your government can't take those rights away from you because they are given to you by God. There is no other country in the history of the world 
who has ever had a constitution anywhere near that. And that is why America has been so successful, because the government can't come in and say, oh, we're going to take away your rights to firearms. No, that right is given to you by God, and the government is supposed to be there to help ensure that these rights are protected, not to uh, inhibit you from having these rights. And so that is why America is great, and that's why also the left wants to destroy it, because they hate God and they hate that, that these types of values are there. Oh, but they say the founding fathers were atheists. I know Thomas Jefferson was, even though he still respected other people's religion. And yet, even despite the fact being an atheist, he put that line in the Declaration of Independence. And that was his penmanship doing that. Uh, when it came to the Constitution, the fight was so bad that Washington came in with a reverend, had them all kneel in prayer. Yet, yeah, even the atheists knelt in prayer. And at that moment, they were able then to finally get the Constitution done. So, you know, God has always been there. And yet, the whole thing is, as long as you take God out, then the only place that people can turn for direction, for guidance, for whatever help they need, is only to the government. And isn't that the whole point? To worship at the table of the government and not at the table of the Lord? That is exactly correct. People would, would rather worship the government or themselves instead of, instead of worshiping God. They want to take God out of, out of all of America. You know, I think about in, in Exodus when, when the, the, the female Israelites are by the Nile and the Pharaoh comes to them and says, if there are any males born among you, throw them into the Nile. And what do the women say? They say, we fear God, meaning that they feared God more than they feared the Pharaoh. And that's a truly powerful thing. That's a very liberating thing to to realize that there were people all the way back then who feared God more than they feared what other people thought about them. But now people care much more about what other people thought about them and put aside God and put aside biblical truths and instead would live for the government or for themselves. Well, I've been saying like for years to, uh... we have become a disposable society. And the more we become a disposable society, we dehumanize ourselves so we become disposable. And this is what we have to battle against. We're human beings. We have value. We are creatures made in the image of God. We're not disposable. And that's our argument versus theirs. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, yeah I was just going to back up what you said earlier about the line that Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration um, telling King George III that it was the intent of the colonies to, to rid themselves of slavery but as you said the focal point was to get all these these colonies together as one union to form the united states of america and two southern states balked at that line and i think it was georgia and perhaps um, south carolina or north carolina one of those two and so he had to remove that but we could have ended slavery right then, 100 years before the Civil War. That's all I want to add. <laughs> then we would not have had a country. You know, your book is really, really fantastic, How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies, Taking on Liberal Arguments with Logic and Humor. And that's one of the main points, I think, that you know, when we do this, instead of being combative, which is your point in the book, don't be combative, use your wit. Use your sense of humor. Think outside the box in order to get your point across. And your book points it out so, so perfectly. 
And uh, at one point you write, what is important to hit on here is the left's hypocrisy to, when it comes to how terrible America is. They claim it's such an evil, racist pl- place, yet they refuse to leave. One of the best questions to ask off the bat, where in the world would you rather live than America? Or what country is better to live in as a minority than America? You, you take their argument and you turn it on them and you make them think, Right. That's exactly right. That's what the point of the book is. I, I, I broke down all of the most common leftist arguments on all of the biggest issues and give people the tools on how they can actually break all of those down. Because I think it's incredibly important it's for people to have these conversations, but they're not having them. And so I, I really hope that people check out the book and see that, listen, America can be saved, but it's about us being brave and having these good conversations, asking people questions instead of just trying to bombard them with facts as quickly as possible. And maybe going with someone and talking to someone on the left and saying, I could maybe learn something as well. You know, having an open mind, even yourself. And I think that's really what it's all about. I think that's what America is all about. It is. It is. And you have a lot of great points in the book. You have a lot of great stats. Uh, I was amazed at the stat where back in 1958, if um, a black moved into a white neighborhood, uh, 44% said that they would leave. And it's funny, in the 1960s when my parents were selling their house and they had minorities come to look at it, our neighbors who would come over and say, you sell it to them, uh, we're leaving. (laughs) My mom and dad were just like, what? But that's the truth. But today, instead of 44%, only 2%. We have changed. We have grown. And that's another point in your book, that we have to look at that. And our greatest fight right now is the new type of segregation, the vaxxed versus the unvaxxed. And uh, I think the people are starting to speak up. And it's people like you that's helping them find the courage at the wit and the wisdom to do so, Will. God bless you for everything you do, sir. God bless you guys, too. Thanks so much for having me on today. All right, what time can people find your broadcast? People can find my book anywhere books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, online, Books A Million, anywhere books are sold. And what about your broadcast? My broadcast, my show is every single weekday at 2.30 p.m. Pacific on the PragerU YouTube and Facebook channel, or you can follow me on social media at The Will Wit, or go to PragerU.com for any more videos. Well, we'll travel safely and have a great book signing. God bless. God bless you guys, too. Thank you so much. All right. All right. That was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Love talking to him. His book is absolutely excellent. I recommend everyone to pick it up because he he has some great, great arguments in there. We got our next victim in on the line. Really, he's not a victim. He's more of a hero. Uh, People remember him. from the uh, good guy with a gun who intervened in a deadly mass shooting that took place at the First Baptist Church in Sutherland, Texas. He was the right man at the right time, at the right place. So welcome aboard, Stephen Williford. Good afternoon, Stephen. How are you today? Good afternoon. It's it's Stephen Williford. Uh, thank you. Oh, well, they, they, they put it S-T-E-P-F-E-N, so you pronounce it Stephen. Oh, I, hey. I apologize. Yeah. No problem. No problem. All right. You're also with the Second Amendment Foundation, uh, and you are smack in the middle of this border crisis. Holy moly. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well, all things considered. Um, I'm really um, 
mad about what's going on at the border. And, uh, you know, our Texas governor said that he enacted the, the National Guard to stop this stuff. And instead, I went down to Roma, Texas to see what was going on for myself. And it turns out that our National Guard is working with the drug cartels to move these people across. You're kidding me. And my, You're kidding me. No, my video, my video shows it, too. You can go to uh, the Barefoot Defender is my uh, YouTube channel. So go to YouTube and, and type in Barefoot Defender as a search. And please go to that search and subscribe to my channel, and you can see the videos that we took. And when I went down to the border... Uh, the National Guard said that I was trespassing, which I was standing on a river on American soil, and I have every right to be there. And uh, But the illegals do not. They just didn't want us filming them. And uh, so they flash their flashlights and let the, the drug cartels know that that's where that they can bring the illegals. And they, we filmed them bringing four boatloads back and forth. So all night long they work bringing illegals across, and the illegals come across without even getting a foot wet and sit down on the banks. And then the, uh, the Border Patrol comes down and picks them up and takes them up the hill and processes them and puts them on buses to bring them into the U.S. and shipping them to... Goodness knows where. You know, I've, I've been hearing that uh, they're not sending them to blue states. They're only sending them to red states. And uh, it's a way to disrupt us is from what I am hearing. Well, I'm, I'm telling you, whether they send them blue states, red states, or whatever, it is a effort to collapse our economy because we cannot handle everything. They're Roma, Texas, and, and we have over 2,000 miles of border with Mexico. And at one spot at Roma, Texas, they average over 800 illegals a night. And now Del Rio is, is becoming the hot spot and everybody, even, even the president has had a hard time with what's happening in Del Rio, where at one time, 30,000 Haitians showed up. And the, the really strange part of that is, and I want people to understand, because I heard the president talk about this. He was blaming it on the human traffickers, saying they misunderstood what I said about the Haitians. They can't bring Haitians. So, Mr. President, does that mean that you're communicating with the human traffickers so are you communicating with terrorists because that's what they are they're drug cartels they're human traffickers and he said they misunderstood it and 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 my second point is is mr president everybody misunderstands what you say because you can't put a decent sentence together you know <laughs> so it, it makes me angry that the president saying, oh, they misunderstood what I was saying about the Haitians. And you want to also, your listeners need to think about this. Haitians 
their average income, average yearly income is $800 a year. And yet they're able to fly over from Haiti and come over here and then come to our border. And I understand some of them are coming from, they were already in South America and now they're coming to America. But they don't have the money to make this happen. Who is doing this? And, That's a good question. I've Who been, is funding this? this? This is a conspiracy theory that I've been told, but I, you know, and I, I don't know what to believe anymore. They, they say, say it's UN is doing it to destabilize us. George Soros is in on it, trying to destabilize this country. And uh, the president has re-signed the uh, UN Small Arms Treaty which says that every civilian in the United States shall be disarmed by a certain date. You know, so you can, you can make whatever it is. You know, I hate to be speculating on where they're going to or where they're coming from, but what I, on my video, I showed, these people are coming in and the... Border Patrol has set up a five officers at the top, and they're taking these families in, they're taking these people in, unaccompanied children, and they ask them when they come to the table, do you have any ID? Well, none of them have any identification. So they ask them where they're from, and they can say Honduras, they can say wherever, you know, there's no proof of it, and who they are. And they write it down in ledger, you know, say it's Maria Gonzalez or whatever. They write it down in a ledger. And then they separate the men from 15 years and older and put them on one bus. And then the women and children, they put on an entirely different bus. And they're sending them into America. We, through an interpreter, we talked to a... About an 11-year-old boy would be my estimate. And he said he was going to Denver, Colorado. Well, they tell them where they need to tell them they want to go. So this boy says, I'm going to Denver, Colorado. Why are you going to Denver, Colorado? He said, my mom's in Denver, Colorado. And uh, he was unaccompanied. And I'm going to tell you, his mother wasn't in Denver, Colorado, because they kept, kept on interviewing him, and they were asking him. He said that they put them in a big warehouse in Mexico by the border. The Mexican government took them and put them in a big warehouse. Said it wasn't air-conditioned. It was really hot in the warehouse, and they wouldn't even let them have a bottle of water. And then when night came around, the drug cartels came and picked them up. And they come across the border and they wear armbands. And these armbands indicate that they have paid or arranged for payment with the drug cartel. So you have to either, and if you're poor and you can't afford to, they make arrangements and they charge $8,000 a person. They make arrangements that you will be sold into the sex trade or that you will be running drugs for them on this side of the border. 
and be part of their organi- their crime or- organization on this side of the border. And they caught one man like two weeks before I got down there. They were telling me this story. They caught a man that was coming across, and he didn't have his armband on, meaning he had not paid the drug cartel. And they caught him, and they drug him down to the banks of the river where they disemboweled him alive. They pulled his intestines out with him screaming. And then they cut his head off, and they left his uh, decapitated body and head on the banks of the river so that everybody would know this is what happens to you if you come across without paying up. Wow. It is, it is got, I've never seen the border this bad. We've seen it bad in the past, but never. It's completely lawlessness. And to come in, of course, we don't know what diseases they're bringing. We're having cases of tuberculosis, uh, leprosy, you know, diseases that we have had eradicated for generations, but all of a sudden now they're coming back. Plus, we don't even know if they have COVID or not. No one is being tested. No one is being screened. And yet Americans are losing their jobs because Biden said, well, if there's 100 employees and you're not vaccinated, you know, you're going to lose your job. And every time the employer doesn't fire you and we find out about it, the fines could be anywhere from $70,000 to $700,000 per incident. So the Americans are being treated with less rights than an illegal alien. Where's the justice? Well, and... And again, what did I just say? They put them in big warehouses, just crammed them in a warehouse, where if somebody in that warehouse has any kind of disease, like you say, tuberculosis or something like that, it's spread throughout the warehouse. They're saying 20% of the people that are coming across are sick when they get here. They have some sort of illness, you know, and then they've been crammed into a, a warehouse and they're just passing it around. And then they hit the streets of America. And they put them on a bus, you know, where there's no, no ventilation or anything, you know, maybe an air conditioning system, but that just passes everything amongst them, you know. They put them on a bus and then bust them into wherever, you know. No quarantine, no, no checking what they might have. And they send them into to the United States. And our governor is saying, oh, I sent the, the National Guard down there to stop it. And then what I witnessed is the National Guard is not stopping it. They're facilitating it. And the Supreme Court has said that Trump's stay in Mexico agreement is still valid and still in effect. So our National Guard and everything, everybody else is violating that by letting, by assisting them coming over. Yeah, and, and people are unaware of the problems that we're having already. We're already having illegal aliens committing crimes. Uh, people are dying here in the United States. American citizens, innocent individuals are dying because these criminals are coming across the border. Fine, not everyone may be a criminal, but the very act that you cross the border is a crime in itself. So, yes, each and every one is a criminal. 
And then on top of it, they're trying to take yours and my guns away from us so that we cannot protect ourselves. And again, this is a good time to talk about the Second Amendment Foundation that sponsors me. Uh, I'm, exactly. I'm a spokesman for the Second I was Amendment coming right Foundation. Into that. Go find them at saf.org. Find them at saf.org. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, you need your Second Amendment rights to be able to defend you, your family, your friends, your community, your state, your nation. This, this nation is being invaded right now. Yes, yes. And as Sarge pointed out in the chat, which I was going to bring up, you know, it, it, if Biden signed that uh, UN's uh, small arms treaty, it's not valid because, number one, has not been ratified by the Senate. It's, it's not a valid treaty. It, you, may, you may call it an agreement, but that small arms treaty is no treaty here in the United States, and it will be challenged by groups like yours, uh, Second Amendment Foundation. And uh, we've got to support you guys in doing that. You know, we have to challenge this. And the second they try to come for our guns, you better find yourself a good attorney fast because no one's well, taking mine. Texas, Texas has enacted the sanctuary, the Second Amendment Sanctuary State Act, meaning that we will not recognize any more uh, unconstitutional laws having to do with the Second Amendment. And I would encourage people to go out there and fight for these bills, too, within your state, because the way the Constitution was originally set up is the only power the federal government had over the states was through interstate commerce. People don't understand that, that your state's laws should supersede the federal laws. Because we were set up as what a state was in that time was a little country in itself. So we were the United Countries of America. And your state made their own laws. And the, and the only thing, the only power the federal government had was over the states was trade between the states. And so that's the way it was originally set up. Go read the, uh, the Anti-Federalist and the Federalist Papers, and you'll know the thoughts of our founding fathers and how it was originally set up and it we have to start getting back to that uh, and there's some things like the second amendment that were provided for that said even the states couldn't touch and uh, that the second amendment would be something that was recognized throughout all the states and now the federal government is trying to, to do away with the Second Amendment, saying it's no longer relevant. When they start saying it's no longer relevant, that's exactly when it is relevant. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, here in South Carolina, they uh, finally passed the open carry. And uh, the day after it went into law, I had my Tea Party meeting, and I was strapping. I walked in to make a point that we have a Second Amendment right. And, you know, see little tiny me with a 38 strap to my hip, and people look at me like, it's, it's law. But it, they questioned uh, the representative that I had there that day and asked, did that make South Carolina a sanctuary state? And it didn't. But I'm glad that 
Texas is because this is something I can point out to my representatives and senators here in the state house. And so why aren't we? I mean, you've gone this far. Why aren't we now a Second Amendment sanctuary state? Good question. Well, and see, we are we are absolutely a petri petri dish dish of we're the 21st state in Texas to do this, and every state that has enacted Second Amendment, uh, the uh, constitutional carry, every state that has enacted constitutional carry. The violent crime rate has dropped. And they don't want to hear about that. Because more guns, more safety. Well, you know, with with the less violence. Well, with the political field out here and with all these illegal aliens, uh, more women are now finally going out and learning how to handle a firearm and I'm glad to see that I'm so glad to see that because there's so many misnomers about the firearm I mean my gun doesn't kill it's the fact that the person that picks it up and aims it and fires it is the person that kills not the gun yeah I can put my gun down on the table go about my business and it doesn't do anything until someone picks it up so that's what they don't understand it's not the weapon, it's the person. So so the shooter in Sutherland Springs had an AR-15, and so did I. We had the same style gun. And the difference is he used his for evil, and I used, his, I used mine to stop him. I used mine for good. It's, it's, uh, it's a problem uh, of the heart, not, not the gun. The gun's just an inanimate object. It's a tool. I mean, more people get killed with hammers than they do with firearms, which people don't understand. More people probably get killed by cars and car accidents than by a firearm. But it's not the tool, it's the individual. Absolutely. And, and we need to learn how to use those tools. Another interesting stat is, is more children die accidentally on bicycles or swimming pools than they do in firearms accidents every year. Unless you lived in Chicago. <laughs> That's the exception to the rule. But that is that is the problem. You know, um, I never arrested someone with a legal firearm. Every single time they had an illegal on them. So, you know, it, it's also it's not legal guns that are doing the majority of as they, as the left will say, the killing. They're not the tools of, of what the criminal wants to use. It's hard to get a legal firearm, but it's much easier to pick one up off the street corner illegally. And that's something else the left will not admit. Absolutely. Bad guys are going to find a way to get a gun anyway. And, and look at France, where they've been hit several times with full automatic uh, AK-47. Terrorists used full automatic AK-47s. They came into a uh, uh, a rock and roll concert. They uh, hit a train. They killed a cartoonist. All that with illegally owned AK, full automatic AK-47s, and people didn't have any means to defend themselves. Well, look what was going that on in Australia. 
Yes, bad guys going to get guns anyway. That that yeah. you know, Seth Lauterbach, he is a sheriff here, Jackson County, Texas. He was a um, presidential advisor for everything border security for Donald Trump. And Sheriff Lauterbach talked about the fact that the drug cartels have a five hundred billion dollar budget, and that if, if you make guns. If you make guns illegal, yeah, that's a that's a crazy number, five hundred billion dollars, and they're buying influence in our media, and in our politicians on this side of the border. Five hundred billion dollars. Our annual budget for our own military is only seven hundred billion. I say only. It's seven hundred billion dollars. So they already have almost what we do for our annual budget for our military. $500 billion. And what he was saying is if you played the liberal game, and let's just play it for a minute, let's pretend that you could outlaw guns and everybody would turn in their guns, good guys, bad guys, everybody would turn in their guns, which is impossible. I'll be one that doesn't anyway. But he said let's play that game for a minute. And everybody turned in their guns. The U.S. military comes up missing like thousands of M16s every year through the black market. And that's what the drug cartels are getting. Because when they do a bust on the, the cartels, they find full automatic M16s. They find grenade, rocket-propelled grenade launchers and such as that. They're not getting them from us, the general public. So let's go one step farther and let's pretend for a minute that you could dry up the black market and they wouldn't get any guns anywhere else. They can't get them from the, dry, the black market and the American people have all lost their guns now. You would think that would be a utopian world. Now the drug cartels scratch their heads and say, I've got $500 billion. I'm going to take $1 billion of that, $500 billion. I'm going to set up the best gun manufacturing plant this world has ever seen. I'm going to employ the people in the villages that surround me to work in my gun manufacturing plant. Now guess what? The bad guys have got guns still, and the good guys don't have any. Well, throw into this mix this Afghan debacle, how much military equipment we left over there, and the partnership between uh, radical Islamic terrorists and the drug cartels coming out of South America and Central America. How much of that equipment is going to make it across the Atlantic Ocean and into the hands of the cartels? That's a good question. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's a complete disaster is, in the uh, making. This is the co-host. I, I got to understand from one interview that the United States really meant to leave that equipment, but they meant to leave it for the the, the forces that we train. And, but what happened, they collapsed. I'm not sure if you heard about that, but that's that's the rumor I heard that it was intentionally left or was meant to be left for the forces we left behind. Yeah, well, that may be, but but it doesn't make any difference. It still fell in the Taliban's hands. And that is just, that's 
just wrong. That's poor planning. That you know, military should have been left there to be able to defend it. Now it's just totally run by the Taliban. They're executing and and beheading people, riding right and left. Uh, they killed a uh, Afghan woman that was a pilot. You know that we trained to be a pilot, and she was a pilot, but she was a woman, so. The Taliban killed, executed her. You know, um, tell me how that's women's rights, how that plays into anything that the left believes. I don't, I, it makes no sense what happened over there. And every time you look for an answer, you get one excuse after another. One excuse after another. And we got the same thing going on on the southern border with this massive immigration. And we're being told, oh, we have it now under control. But you're showing us the exact opposite. Matter of fact, when you were down there trying to film, you came very close to being arrested. Well, they didn't have the right to arrest us, and we knew that. We were told by the highest-ranking Border Patrol officer, yes, you have a right to go down there. We cannot stop you. We try to discourage you because it's dangerous. When we started walking down the hill, down the hill was about a half half mile walk down to the river bank. And we started walking down there. They said, whatever you do, don't use a flashlight because the drug cartels shoot at flashlights coming down the hill. So I was wearing class four body armor because I knew all this. And I knew that they could not arrest me. Now, they could threaten that we were trespassing, but I knew for a fact that I was not. I knew that before we went down there. And they could say we were trespassing, but we were not, and we knew it. And there was really nothing they could do about it. They did ask us not to video the faces of the Border Patrol, uh, but they didn't ask us that about video in the faces of the uh, National Guard. National Guard were were standing down there with their M16s and their Humvee and everything, and they had on masks. You know, they had on, I guess, you know, COVID concerns or whatever mask it looked like, you know, which mm-hmm. I, I don't believe it was COVID concerns. I, I just believe they just didn't want to be seen. And... And we videoed, and uh, I'm I'm just here to tell you I respect our military and and I support our military, but this is just wrong. And they were following orders. My question is, whose orders were they following? Greg Abbott's orders? Whose orders were they following? Were they following, uh, no, Texas National Guard is supposed to be uh, following Greg Abbott's orders. But but the Biden administration is the one that had ordered all this to happen. (laughs) So I don't know. I don't know whose orders they're following, but I know we're all being lied to. And your, your videos are exposing it. Have you had a problem with the Facebook pulling your stuff down? Uh, they they deleted my Facebook uh, page completely at one point. I mean, it just went away overnight. 
And the most recent thing, for some reason, I cannot get on Facebook Messenger, and I have a whole lot, and it shows all my messages, but I cannot get on to even look at the messages or to respond to them. It just shows that I have a number of messages in Facebook Messenger, but try as hard as I can, I can't even reset my password and go to Facebook Messenger at all. So I, I don't know what's going on with that. Well, when, if people want to get a hold of you, can they go through the Second Amendment Foundation to get a hold of you? The best way to get a hold of me is Stephen Williford, S-T-E-P-H-E-M-W-I-L-L-E-F-O-R-D, at gmail.com. Stephen Williford at gmail.com. I speak. I'm, I'm going on a tour in Pennsylvania um, early next month, and uh, so... I speak all over the nation. Uh, I speak about our gun rights. I teach churches how to be uh, safer places, how to set up safe, safety response teams. And uh, I speak politics and things like that all over this nation. Please uh, get a hold of me at stephenwilliford at gmail.com and book me. Uh, again, find my. you can find my... Uh, my uh, YouTube channel at, at Barefoot we, Defender. Hello, well, Stephen. I want. Yeah, I I can hear you. I want to thank you for all the hard work you're doing, and I'm going to recommend everyone go to Barefoot Defender on YouTube or contact you at gmail.com. Um, thank you for joining us, and God bless you for the hard work you do, sir. Thank you, and God bless you too. All right, check them out at the Second Amendment Foundation Barefoot Defender at YouTube, and you can email email him with his name, Stephen Williford, at gmail.com. We got our next victim up in on the chat, in the chat room, (laughs) in the studio. Want to welcome aboard Elazar Cisco Cisneros. Good afternoon, Cisco. How are you today? I am doing well, Annie. How about yourself? I am doing fine, having a fun time here today. Another Texan we got here. You know, what is it that the world is going after Texas like crazy? And (laughs) I was watching the video. uh, And you got to tell us the story, how this all came about, because uh, the Biden team decided they were going to do a tour through Texas. And they had this huge tour bus. And some of you just said, you're messing with Texas. You're not messing in the right state. And you decided to do something about it. Tell us how this all came about. Well, Annie, yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. We really do appreciate it. And I'd like to uh, to give a lot of thanks to Mr. Williford. You know, I, uh, he was at the hospital. I volunteered. I fed uh, BAMC, which is the uh, Brooks Army Medical Center, all the survivors, uh, their family members, the staff, doctors, everybody that that was there during the uh, the massacre. And Mr. Williford was there, and, and, and a much deep appreciation for what he did. Uh, if it wasn't for him, there certainly would have been a lot more dead people. So thank you, Mr. Williford. Anyway, so when, when the Biden-Harris tour bus, uh, when we got word that they were going to be coming through Texas, um, we, we didn't stand for any of those Democratic views here in Texas, we, and we won't. You know, we don't stand for defund the police. We don't stand for late-term abortions. Um, we don't stand for any of those, any, any, 
all of their platform, the, their entire platform is nothing that we stand for in Texas. So, um, so we, a few of us got together and like, say, Hey, let's, let's start protesting them. Whenever they come through, let's, let's meet them. Let's protest what they're saying. Uh, let's let them know exactly how we feel here in Texas. And, um, that that's what we plan to do. And that's what we did. Um, unfortunately with their narrative, you know, on, on what they like to do and what they like to push and how they like to prosecute conservatives, you know, for even though we're in the right, doesn't matter. You know, they, they, they want to tear us down. So that's what we did. We just followed them and, and they got overly, overly aggressive with us and then put the blame on us. Um, just, just like what they did with, you know, so many, so many other conservatives we look at, um, what's his, I, good Lord, I can't think of his name uh, for, and forgive me for that. Uh, MAGA hat, Nick Sandman, Nick Sandman, remember oh, when he wore yeah. his, ma- yes, yeah, yeah, prosecuted big time. Uh, what he went through, I went through the death threats, uh, people just going by my house it, it, and, and the calls do not stop from the left. You know, I, I get them all day, every day, all night. You know, they, they just, that's what they want to do. They just want to, they want to shut us down and I'm not standing for it. I won't, I won't back well, down from you, them. Well, how do you get them to stop coming to your house and calling you? Um, I, I, I can't, <laughs> I really can't, you know, I mean, I can change my number, but, but then that's going to let them know that they, you know, they defeated me and, and no, I'm not going to do that. I'll tolerate it and, and bring it on. Um, now, you know, they want to sue me under the uh, Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871 for exercising my First Amendment rights. Well, you, as a Navy veteran, you're not going to stand down. As a matter of fact, my co-host is also a Navy veteran. Hey, so thank Beautiful. you for your service, but both of you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for your patriotism, now, and thank you for what you do. Oh, thank you. Um, but when you were doing this caravan, the Biden bus had also other vehicles with it. And as you're watching the film, you can see this one white vehicle and the bus. They're straddling the, the line between the lanes and, like, almost trying to push your truck off of the roadway. You know, they were actually aiming for your vehicles. But they're saying it was the other way around. Absolutely not, Annie. I, if you can – there's multiple videos out there, Annie, and 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 I welcome you. To, well, the thing is, is is they try to hide them. YouTube use – you know they try to hide the videos but yeah they were they were riding both lanes um when the bus had scooted over from they were riding the right and middle lane he scooted over to the middle lane the white car that was following um also scooted over to the middle lane that's when i shot up and started going up on the right lane and when the bus saw me he cut me off Right when that butt, right when the bus cut me off, the little white car started to push me off, off to the side of the road. I couldn't go anymore. There was nowhere I, I could go. He he was, to, and, and to, trying to get me to wreck. I don't know what he was trying to do, but my life was in danger. Uh, he hit my truck. I, I pushed him back into his proper lane, and and there you go. Democrats uh, turn it around, make it look like it was our fault. And now well, there was a woman. There was a woman riding behind you that was videotaping this, and she was dialing nine one one at the same time. 
So she yeah. got it all on perfect video as she's talking to the police. And you can hear her, you know, go, oh, my God, he just hit him. Yes. You know, you can hear all of this. And they were deliberately trying to hurt someone or intimidate you to the point where you're going to stop your vehicle and no longer follow. That's the way I was looking at it. Yes, yes. And, and, and they spread lies. They also spread lies. She, uh, the, the woman that was recorded is a friend of mine, and, you know, she doesn't want her name mentioned. You know, of course, because of what I've been through and what I'm still going through with them. But, you know, they said lies. They said that nobody called the police. We did. We did call the police. Um, I called. We called them that day, the next day. And there was really, I mean, what I was told is that there was nothing they can do because I called the next day. But I thought we didn't even know exactly where we're at, what jurisdiction, what police we can call or whatever. So we just started doing some research on the videos. I didn't know anybody was videotaping. So when we went back to the video, we started looking. We pinpointed exactly where we were at. We called the appropriate police, and they sent me to another set of police, and then those police sent me to another one. It just became it became a little crazy, and yeah, yeah, I I'm at where I'm at now, and now being sued. And go ahead. Hold out. Did the insurance company at least cover the damage, or no? Um. I don't know if you saw my truck, Annie. There was hardly any damage to my truck. All the, all the, yeah. <laughs> my tires stick way out. Uh, so he got the brunt of the damage. Mm. Um, it, it wasn't worth it for me to, you know, to go to. Well, I did call my insurance, but there was, you know, the, the damage to my truck was absolutely minimal. Well, you know, uh, this fight against you is being led by an individual by the name of Wendy Davis. Who is she? Yes, ma'am. She's a uh, she's a very absolutely wealthy Democrat here in Texas that was running for Senate, and uh, she got beat. Uh, I guess she took this really personal that we were there. She didn't like us exercising our First Amendment rights, and now she wants to make a political statement against us, and she's picking on us. She picked us out, and I don't know why. I, re- I mean, it's just other than the straight political. Um, oh. Well, there's several others that are in on this lawsuit. They were riding inside the bus, but no one got hurt. And yet they're claiming damages? I guess emotional damages and, you know, anything that they can do, anything they can do to make this statement, you know, if they're going to tear us down, that they're, you know, I'm a conservative, I'm a Hispanic conservative. I don't know if that's what it is. Um, I I, I really don't know any. I don't know what's in their heads. And we look at everything that's happening today. We don't know what they're thinking. Um, what hap- what's happening with Kyle Rittenhouse, what's happening with, I mean, everywhere, everywhere, they're tearing us down, and and it's very obvious, very obvious on what they're trying to do um, to conservatives, people that actually really and absolutely care about their country, their flag, their anthem, having God in, in school, and, pre- you know, just doing what we do and how much we love a country, they want to tear that down, and they want to ensure that we don't do that. Well, you know, to cover your legal costs, you have a Give, Send, Go fund. Uh, If people just Google Help for American Patriot Elazar Cisneros, um, I have a link on the show page so that people, as they're listening here live or in the podcast, can click on it to help make a donation for your legal fund. Because, you know, uh, Trump 
during his impeachment said, they're not coming after me, they're coming after you, meaning you, uh, the conservatives out there that support Donald Trump. You there are yes, Trump people because you dare to stand up against these liberal Democrats. How dare you not toe the line mm-hmm. and be little sheep puppies? Uh, but you're not. And you're saying, okay, come at me. I'll take you on. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'm, I mean, I'll do whatever I have to do. I will, if, if I don't, you know, if I don't get enough, I, I, I will sell whatever I have to sell because I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to. And I don't want my friends to back down. If I got to make enough money for them, you know, to to keep combating these people, these I, I don't know, I don't know what we can call them, but very, very un-American of these people, you know, to to, to be trying to prosecute people for exercising their First Amendment rights. This is very, very, very relative of of the Ku Klux Klan days. You, you dare go against them, you're going to go, you're going to go down, and they're going to make every effort to tear you down, and that's what they're doing to us. Well, one of the things I love about, you know, your give, set, and go, um, you're telling people that if you do donate and you do win the lawsuit and you get money back, you're telling them, give me your phone numbers. I need to know who they are because if we win our countersuit, and it's a substantial one, if it makes the money, I want to pay everyone back and thank them for helping me. Wow. Yes, 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 I do. I I really, really do. I just I just want to come together as people and let them know you know what they did for me. It's very appreciated, and I just want to give everything I can back to them and and let them know thank you for doing what they did for me and and it's very much appreciated. Yes, that's what I want to do. Man, but you're one of those that you know they decided to go after you, and hours after, not days, not a week or so after, a very short time, they identified who you were. And they began with the harassing phone calls and everything else. That's how, that's how vicious and insipid they are. Oh yeah, they 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 went after everybody. They went after very, anybody that had ever commented anything on my Facebook, um, on my Instagram. They they took down my Facebook uh, a few days after. It it just got deleted. They they deleted my Instagram. They deleted my Twitter. They deleted everything. But anybody that had ever commented pro-Trump, pro-America, pro-anything, they went after them as well. They went after everybody, and it didn't stop. It didn't stop. You know, and unfortunately, this is what's happening everywhere. And they, they, you know, they call from from numbers that we can't trace or whatever. You know, they're cowards is really what they are, absolute cowards. You know, they, they do it from the basement of their mother's homes or, you know, from a tent out in Seattle. I, I don't know where they do it from, but they can't be traced and just absolute cowards. They, you know, they, they're, they're afraid. Actually, I think they're really afraid to come up to me and tell me what they really think. And you know, <laughs> you're not afraid I, to do the other way. <laughs> I not. would have to agree. I would have to agree because, um, I personally have had my website taken down and I've had some, um, and, and they were factual videos that people sent to me, and I was, you know, I was sending them to other people, and um, YouTube took them down. And now I have a a new political book out that's been banned by um, several online distributors. So it is all-out war against those on the right, 
um, by the left. And I don't know, the sad thing is some on our side doesn't realize that it is a war, you know. Just want to add that. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of them are, are starting to realize. And you are absolutely right. You know, th- there's a war out against the people who, who stand for the national anthem, you know, during games and, and or whatever it is, who want to pray at, at school or say the Pledge of Allegiance. There's a war against us. And it's an anti-American war. You are pro-American, they're against us. And and it's horrible. Okay. Absolutely horrible. And it, well, it, now it's feeding now the, in... Oh, go ahead. Finish. Go ahead, Annie. No, it's feeding into well, our military now. You know, the people who really, who have been overseas, you know, who know, absolutely know what it's like to be in a communist or socialist country, who, you know, the people who don't really have the rights that we have, and they see it, and they still don't care. It is, it's, it's, it's this Democratic Party that's really infiltrating the minds of these people that just can't really think for themselves. Well, look, look what's happening now to Lieutenant Colonel Shore. Uh, he I'm, took I'm a real. real, he took a real big chance, and he knew he was going to get himself in trouble. But he is now sitting behind bars for speaking his mind. It's not as if he caused an insurrection. He said, "Yeah, I know that you're going to probably court-martial me. You're probably going to dismiss me from the Marine Corps. I'll give up my career. I don't care. I'll give up my pension. I don't care. But this needs to be done. Someone has to account for what happened over there in Afghanistan and this pullout. Someone has to account for Americans still behind the lines. And we've got cowards running the military, and they have him arrested for just speaking his mind. You're you're lucky that you're not sitting behind bars because of the car accident, Annie. If there's anybody, Annie, Annie, if there's anybody right now that should be the poster child of the Nike brand, sacrifice everything, even if it means sacrificing everything. It is him. He absolutely sacrificed so much for what he believes. He he. It was it's everything. Everything that he he believes in he it's gone it's gone because he went he dared to go against the left and it, it's he, done. he will never get his he he won't get his military pension now he's he's a political prisoner. everything is done for him and i i feel horrible and i we, we need to come together and and help yes, him we do 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 whatever we can for him because there's going to be a very big fight and these democrats are i don't know i really don't know well, that's that's the new thing now. If you happen to be, uh, you had that one Marine that pulled the baby over the wall, showed up at the Trump rally this past week, and yes, next thing you know, he's he's in trouble. He didn't even go in uniform. He didn't even mention, you know, his branch of service. He said, yeah, I'm the one that pulled the baby over, and it was the proudest thing I have done in my life. And the next thing you know, he's under investigation for being on stage with President Trump. But how many times did we see Obama and Bush uh, and uh, John McCain Clinton. standing there with troops in uniform, using them as a political backdrop? Yep. I, I, I think okay the, message, the, the, message, the message they're trying to send is don't mess with us. We will imprison. They're trying to instill this fear. They're trying to instill this fear into people not to mess with them. 
Yeah, don't mess with us. It doesn't matter what you do. We will come after you. It doesn't matter how positive. It doesn't matter anything. It doesn't matter if you're doing good or doing whatever. Don't mess with us because we will attack you. We will belittle you. We will crush you. You, you are going to let us do what we do to this country and how we want to do it, and you're going to shut up, and you're going to abide by our rules. <laughs> That's what they're trying and to you, do. That's their message. And, you know, Rush used to say that a lot about um, the way they treated Trump. They wanted to treat him so bad that the next conservative that, that even considered themselves to be Trump-like would think twice about running because they were going to come after them with everything. Yeah. They got everything. Yeah. Yes. So, so where are we at right now? Is, is this is this absolute tyranny? Are, are are do do us conservatives, are these people that really and truly believe in this country, do we have the ability and the legal right to start an attack on this government that's attacking us? We already have political prisoners still behind bars from January sixth. And people yes, are still being hunted down that had, were in just Washington, D.C., not necessarily at the Capitol, may not have even yes, been inside the Capitol, and they're being tracked down, investigated, and intimidated. And that's the new yes, tactic. And it, it has become the beginning of 1984, as a previous guest mentioned in the book. A lot of the stuff that was in 1984 is starting to come about. Or It's like the Wizard of Oz. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. And they're pulling <laughs> Beautiful. The, the shadow, the shadow government strings, and you know, you, you think you see what you see? No, no, no. I'm telling you what you see. What yes. color is that? It's it's white. No, it's not. It's black. Yep. You're going to stay yep. here and you're going to sit in that chair until you agree with me. Until yep. you say that that is black, it's not white. Then you don't know the truth. So Big Brother is already watching us. My goodness, uh, I refused to buy an Alexis. Uh, we had rented a, a, someone's apartment, and she had an Alexis, one of those things. It's like, watch what you say because it's recording. And now you've got those smart refrigerators that talk back to you. You've got smart devices that record. Uh, it sends up the Google Cloud. Big Brother is yes, here, and we've allowed it to happen. So, you know. Yeah. Oh, that, 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 and special uh, thanks to Obama for that, and people don't. They don't recognize him. They don't want to recognize him because it's all about party now. And you're absolutely right. You know, Obama authorized this. And this is where we're at now. And you're absolutely right, Annie. Well, isn't that what Nancy Pelosi just said the other day? She didn't say it was Biden's plan. She said it was Obama's. So, yeah, yeah. like I said, don't look at the man behind the, the curtain. Because yep. President Obama pulling the strings, and it, it has become a very scary world out there, defining any and every way in which to attack us. And i got to say, I just found out from a friend of mine, uh, he has his own uh, podcast, and he's, he sent me a text saying, call me right away. And I said, what's up? Someone had a mock, uh, spoofed, not spoofed, but imitated my Instagram account and was starting up conversations with people because they tried to hook it up to people that were following me on my Facebook page. So he was having an exchange with someone, thought it was me until they started saying some crazy stuff. He goes, no, I'm not talking to Ann. So if anyone has an Instagram account, um, my Instagram account is the name of the show, um, 
but I think it's a period in, in between. Just all lowercase southern dot sense. Uh, but if you go there and you pull up and you Google southern sense, you'll see one with an underscore in front, and then looks exactly like yep. mine, my screen name. So go over there, go to Instagram, and report them. There is a, three little buttons at the top of that Instagram page of that person. You click on that, and it'll tell you report and why. And you just say, this is someone else's account. There's an option for that. And tell them if it's someone I know or it's yours. But I turned around and I said to Instagram, this is mine. This is, and they used my picture, too. So up yeah. on the Facebook oh, page, yeah. I put a description of what to look for, and you'll see why it's not my page. And report them. If they do that, we've got to use the same Alinsky tactics against them. But we've got to do yeah, it smart. Annie, I'm ready. I'm ready, Annie. <laughs> you, have, you have my number. I'm, you think I'm joking, Annie. I'm not. I'm not. Not whatsoever. Um, I love this country. I, I bleed red. I bleed red, white, and, and, and blue. But oh, I hate saying the word blue or Democrat. Oh, it pisses me off right now. Um, but yeah. Well, the problem is that, that blue was my favorite color until someone in the media decided red. And you know why they told us that we're red and they're blue. Blue is a calming color. Blue is a, a relaxing color. It's one that just lets you feel good. Red is a color of anger. It's the color of a fight. It's the color of blood. So they turned around and gave us the symbol that they actually should be wearing. They're the angry um, ones. Yeah. They're the bloody ones. They stole our blue. They stole well, our blue. Well, let's do this. But well, now I, I have no problem being the color of anger. And I'm gonna add there. I'm gonna have no problem being the color of blood. Um, I'm, I'm, well, I'm really mad on what's happening to this country. That's, yep. that's what formed this country. The the red yes, that ran from the blood of our men and, yes, and women that fought the Revolutionary yes, War. Yes, ma'am. But uh, yes, ma'am. Today is not the day to stop to back down. We have this fight going on in Congress over the spending bill, and I don't think Nasty Pelosi expected the battle that the Republicans are finally, finally finding the spine to to fight against, except my rhino senator, uh, as I call him, Lamesy Gramnesty. Yeah. So, yeah. We don't even speak his name. We don't have to give him any publicity. Don't. Well, because we're, we're well, actually... Actually, there's two uh, two GOP uh, counties, Aiken and Pickens, that censured Lindsey Graham. And someone sent me the censure, so I went for my Tea Party, and I did one from my Tea Party here in Buford, and I brought it over to my Republican Party, my county Republican Party, because I'm on the executive committee, and I'm one of those that drafts these things for them. Um, And I said, well, let's do it here. And they said, oh, no, well, and you get the wishy-washies. Well, guess what? I'm hearing now that the South Carolina state GOP drafted a letter uh, demanding an explanation from Lindsey Graham. And I'm waiting to see someone who's going to send me a copy of that letter. Uh, Lindsey Graham is going to find himself in for one half of a fight. He may have another five years left in his his term, but they're not going to be easy years. Not not with the anger he's getting right now. He's shown the exact rhino colors. This is what we got to do. We got to call them out. We got to demand them to be accountable. 
And we have to support lieutenant colonels sitting behind bars and, and demand why did Austin and Millie have him arrested? Because you know the orders yeah. had to come from up, uh, way up high. Way, way, up, way high, up Way up high because he poses a lethal threat. He is absolutely right. He has the ability to, to bring people together, and it's, it's going to happen. He, he, is, he is an absolute threat to this country in a good way. He's an absolute – no, you know what? I apologize. He is an absolute threat to the Democratic Party. Let me put it that way. And, and, and anybody that poses any kind of threat to them, they're afraid. Yeah, well, you know, we also have to take our military back, not just our education, not just our elected representatives, but our military also. Um, a friend of mine, his kid went through Paris Island a number of years back, and yes, he had no family, so I had him over for uh, Thanksgiving dinner that year. And he's a good Marine, but he's saying it's time for me to get out. He's only been in for a handful of years. He goes, this is not the military I thought I was going to be joining. It's too much political correctness. And Obama did that when he, oh, yeah. he, he decimated the commanding officers under his, his uh, administration. If you saw the list of the admirals and the generals and everything that, that retired – because of President Obama, and Obama put all of his people up in the upper limits. Hence, we have an Austin. Hence, we have a Millie, or as I call him, Millie the Millie. So <laughs> we've got. Yes. You like that one? Yes. Well, like well, that? yes. Well, well, Annie, Annie, I have a friend. Uh, he's, his name's going to be unspoken. He's white. He is a one-star general. He has been up for the two-star general ranking for a while. He was in during the Trump administration. However, he recently uh, got out. Why? Because they're only promoting black generals because of this big black thing. You know, the big black. And I'm not trying to be, I'm, I'm being honest. It's not that I'm racist. I'm being honest. You know, that, that's what they're promoting. That, you know, even though people don't know what they're, that's what they, they were promoting. And he, he did not have a chance. And it was sickening and on how they celebrated him when when he got out after 20 something years of, of of service to this beautiful country they, he got a letter and that that was it thank you for your service and you know he, it was it was horrible horrible how they treated this man and well you know the things that he said i i i'm going to keep to myself but it was bad it was bad well you know i've I've experienced the affirmative action in full swing uh, when I had to work three jobs to put myself through college because I was the wrong race and I could not get a grant yeah. or anything. Yeah. Um, I experienced the affirmative action when I went up for promotion as a police officer and I found out I had a score. If you took the score straight across, you know, straight numbers like you're supposed to, like 94 out of 100, I did great. I was in the upper top ten. But once you threw in the affirmative action curve, someone who scores lower than me actually jumped over me. And I've seen that yep. happen twice in my career. I, I mean, yep. I have been denied jobs because I was told uh, I'm not Hispanic, I'm not black, I'm not Asian, I'm not Hawaiian, uh, Alaskan, Native American. Native. I'm just yep. the wrong you're the white. wrong race. You're white. So, oh, yeah. yeah. God, tell, I, I, tell me, yeah. Queen Camilla Mella Harris, about being bust. 
I got you, bus you tell me over. Annie, you tell me. I, I would really like to know, and anybody in the show, name me one, one scholarship that is solely for white people. One college scholarship <laughs> that is only for whites. You name me one college that is solely, only for white people, white kids only. Sorry. Yep. You name me a yep. channel that is uh, 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 for white entertainment only. White entertainment <laughs> television. You, 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 you tell me a job that I'm going to get it solely because I'm white. Well, not me, but, you know, you know, I'm white. You got the job. No. So you want to talk about, you want to talk about white privilege? No, I think there's, there's, yeah, there's another privilege going on, and it's not white. No. Well, you know, I think the white people, the majority of the white people, when they get pulled over, they know, they know how to conduct themselves as humans. You know what? They're not battling the police and staying explicitives and why you pull me over because I'm – you know what? Just shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. <laughs> conduct yourself as a human. And, and, well, and you know what? Go. Things will turn out well, – yes, ma'am. Well, we'll uh, we definitely have to I'm have you back passionate. on and give you, give you a lot more time. Uh, again, people can go to the show and click on your name. They'll take them over to the Give, Send, Go fund that you have to help you with your legal defense against this Democrat law war. Ugh. That's what it is. It's war uh, yeah. against us using the law. So good luck. And we'll be talking Thank again you, soon, Annie. okay? I hope so, right, Annie. God Thank bless, you for your sir. time. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. All right, so we've got our, our next victim up in the switchboard, first time to the show, and Mark Tapscott could not be with us. So stepping in, and I hope we're going to have a blast with him, Nan Sue. He is, um, let me get my teeth incorrectly, currently the senior reporter with the Epic Times covering U.S., China, Taiwan, and California. Oh, man, as we say, the communist corner of the nation on the left coast. Good afternoon, Nan. How are you doing today? Uh, good afternoon, Annie. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is our pleasure, our pleasure. And one of the topics that we've been talking about so much on the show is China. And you know, people don't understand how, and I love this word, insipidly they are involved in not just the United States, but controlling the rest of the countries throughout the world. And it Finally, people started to wake up when the fall of Afghanistan, and next thing you know, China is knocking on that door, that little 47-mile border they share, and say, hey, listen, we're neighboring countries. Let us help you rebuild. Well, uh, a friend of mine, Benjamin Smith, made a map, and it showed and linked how China to Afghanistan, to Tajikistan, uh, to Pakistan, to Iran, and to Iraq. And it's the perfect blossom of a full Muslim caliphate being controlled by the Communist Party of China and being in control of some of the richest metals and, and rare earths that we, they need, including oil. And no one's paying attention. Well, uh, that is correct. Uh, uh, before taking uh, uh, over uh, because uh, Afghanistan, uh, the Chinese Communist Party has been uh, discuss- in discussion with Pakistan as well as Iran to build this so-called energy corridor 
that will link Iran's oil field directly to China. They have been talking about this for years. Now with uh, Afghanistan joining into the picture, uh, that pretty much geographically, that corridor is there. And also in the past uh, more than a decade of time, China has been building freeway and uh, railroads in Tibet. And they are now actually getting ready to kick off the construction for the high-speed railroad in Tibet. So on the receiving end, they are ready. Uh, China also, uh, back in March of this year, signed an economic agreement with Iran. In the next 25 years, China is going to provide more uh, about $400 billion uh, as economic aid to Iran as a return. Iran is going to provide a constant oil supply to China. Now, the only issue left is right now the oil from Iran has to come through the uh, Persian Gulf, go through the Malacca Strait, and go all the way around South China Sea before it can even reach China. And with that corridor in place, uh, that will uh, that will basically uh, solve all the problems. Because right now, China, one of the China's major oil provider, it's it's Russia. Now, Putin is a little moody. We all know that. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> some, and sometimes, you know, they, the, the oil pipe from, oil, uh, from Russia just doesn't have the oil to come out on the China side. So China needs <laughs> some sort of a negotiation balance chips in its hand to balance the Russia power. Now, Putin doesn't like China's uh, influence in the Central uh, Asia uh, a region, uh, you know, like Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, uh, all the way to Ukraine. They all used to be China, uh, uh, Russia's backyard. Now, China is extending their influence in that region. Uh, Putin didn't like it. So China needed someone, some new oil suppliers to balance uh, the Russians' uh, negotiating power. And uh, besides all this, more importantly, China, what, what China really wants, will really want, if you link to how they have been working with Afghanistan, the way they work with Taliban. Now, if you link that uh, to a few months ago, during the diplomatic negotiation between United States and China, China's uh, top diplom- diplomats strictly uh, talking to uh, Tony Blinken and say China, uh, United States is not qualified to speak to China. Think about why did they want to do that? Uh, in the last uh, few weeks, uh, the entire the entire China's state-owned media all have been in an all-out war to talk about uh, the propaganda using Afghanistan. Their their propaganda really focused on three points. Number one. Uh, U.S. is a paper tiger. Just look at the Taliban. They hid in cave and they only equipped with AK-47. They defeated the U.S. Army. And number two, and uh, China is the leader of the constructive force in the world, while U.S. is the destructive, uh, the leader of destructive force in the world. And number three, whoever, uh, you know, being the ally of the United States will be eventually abandoned 
like the U.S. allies in Afghanistan. Now, think about why they are doing all that. China is really eager to build a leadership image, a world leadership image that's able to challenge Americans' dominant power in the world because China has already figured out in the next 30 years they wouldn't be continuously stealing the investment and uh, consumer market as well as the technology from the Western world, especially from the United States. So they are start building their own global system. So they, they want this image of world leadership, of challenging American dominant power so that more developing countries will jump into the line, follow the regime's wagon. You know, there's so much to, to talk about. In so many different directions you went. It's like, wow, where do I start? And you, you mentioned about world dominance, and they have been doing that over the last several decades with their roads project all through Africa, South America, the Caribbean. You, know, you name a country, and they've got something going on with that country. Look what happened with uh, Italy. Uh, with the oil coming through uh, – uh, uh, good Lord, through the Middle East into China, they have been going along the coastline and building ports in various nations, ports where they control, not the nation that they built it in controls, so that they have places for their ships to go. They've been building these islands out in the Pacific Ocean, stepping stones towards Taiwan. And oh, by the way, did you know you try to uh, find anything being posted uh, on Twitter using hashtag Taiwan and China comes up instead. They've been influencing social media, uh, regular media. We know that they have had direct influence into the Washington Post and the New York Times, Hollywood, uh, colleges. You start, you can go on down the line and it's going to be like, where is China not involved? Well, uh, what you say is uh, absolutely true. Uh, unfortunately, just like uh, uh, I think yesterday, I think it's yesterday there was a news reported linking uh, the, the you know the professional uh, to serve your professional uh, uh, career and resume that place people look for a job from linking right now linking just closed a bunch of censored uh, uh, actually or self-censor, I don't know how you call it. Basically, they censored a bunch of uh, personal accounts of some professional journalists working in China and uh, quoting that Lin Kang has to follow the Chinese government's regulation for the local Lin Kang in China. Uh, so they basically, hey, you know, these journalists, uh, journalists, they they're not really obey Chinese government's regulations, so therefore they close their account permanently. Um, that is very sad. It's no different than the story happened to MBA. No different than the story happened to Marriott Hotel, Gap, uh, all these big companies. Uh, they all self-censored. So basically, uh, the issue here is. Um, you know, all these big corporations, I don't think, you know, you give them a little criticism, they will change because they're, they're powerless. They, they're not able, they're not equipped uh, uh, by themselves. They don't have, they're not equipped to deal with Chinese government. So it has to be some sort of a China policy 
by our uh, Congress that that need to be made. So to so these corporations are equipped, and also if if they twist our values, you know, uh, which will end up helping China hurting the freedom that we all uh, truly believe our life is based on, then you know they should be punished. So I, I think that it's a China policy that need to be need some work on. Well, that they they do, but then we have corporations that just bow to them, and you have Nike making their sneakers out of slave labor over in China. But yet you have all these NBA players kneeling for Black Lives Matter. Uh, Black Lives Matter is against slavery, so why are you having Nike as your sponsor? Why are you kowtowing to the Chinese? Uh, it, 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 well, it, it uh, I'm not sure. It me. Well, I'm not sure if you know that uh, the founder of Black Lives Matters, they actually receive money from uh, some of the Chinese progressive uh, mm-hmm. organization in uh, China, uh, yep. San Francisco, Chinatown. And those uh, organizations are very close to China. They have been welcomed and embraced by CCP. Yes, yes, they are. And Black Lives Matter, we know, is communist. There's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. And uh, they're getting their funding amazingly from mysterious places. You know, the Chinese have been involved in trying to influence our American politics, our American businesses, our American educations for decades. And no one ever really questioned when Hillary Clinton was running for the Senate how these poor people in New York City, Chinatown, all of a sudden had all this money to donate to her. Gee, you wonder where it came from. You know, it, there's, there's so much that they have gotten their influence in. Uh, Mitch McConnell getting his ships from China. Uh, really? And he's the speaker. You know, he's the majority leader over there. Uh, excuse me? Really? Really? It doesn't make much sense. But we have American companies where they're not able to staff themselves because of this pandemic. So where are you going to get your goods made? Have them made in China, made cheaper, ship them back over, sell it back to the American market. But the moment they do that, the Chinese Communist Party knows your intellectual property. They know your manufacturing. And you may have an operation for a year or two. But after that, after they've got it all figured out and they have their influence in there, you're kicked out. They've got your product. And they're selling it made in China on Amazon back to the Americans. People are not paying attention. And you are. That's what you write about in the Epic Times. Uh, yes, there's a huge disconnect here between how American underst- Americans understand what's going on in China and uh, what can they expect uh, and what's actually in Ch- happening in China. Now, the huge disconnect is a lot of Americans in the past, like, uh, say, 20 years, uh, especially after the uh, last 15 years after China joined WTO, they went to Beijing or China anywhere to visit. They, saw, uh, they, they, they see all these very modernized cities are built, and there's a capitalism uh, market. Looks like capitalism capitalism market, which which really it's not. And they they go there, they come back, they say, hey, our money, our technology, and our investment really have changed the China. Now, the, this is what what's in the heart of the uh, in the mind of Americans. They they 
you know, they kind of see the changes our investment technology have made in China. They feel satisfied. Uh, but the, the reality is uh, they, you know, most of the Americans, unless you know Chinese, you actually live in China for a long time, you will understand that's not what's really happening over there. So what's really happening over there is uh, Chinese uh, communist regime has this really effective uh, indoctrination process, which is really start from the kindergartens and preschools. Now, you, you, if you, you, you understand Chinese and Chinese and how Chinese live their life, 365 days a year, every day, you're going to hear this uh, uh, repeat, repeat, and repeat again that uh, all the economic success and development that have been happening in China, it's really because the strong leadership of one-party control. It's really because the strong leadership of Chinese Communist Party. So therefore, the entire nation, most of the people are indoctrinated. They no most people do not be, think that uh, that any political reform is needed because you know you look at all this economic success. That that's all a tribute to the leadership of Chinese Communist Party. So our money and investment and market that we actually sacrifice, we close our eyes and let them do all this, and hoping one day they're going to have a re- political reform. That, that future is really a fake future. It will never happen. That's the big disconnect. You know, we, we have the businessmen, we have politicians that go over to China, and they're escorted around. And they're, they're actually corralled into certain areas so you only see what they want you to see and you know they have an attitude where chinese is superior to any other race so if you're not chinese they're not going to have any full respect for you and they'll give you an interpreter and they'll tell you that the interpreter is talking to you true when words are not being interpreted properly insults are given to you and you may not even know it and it, it is so much of smoke and mirrors that, you know, it's like I said before, like the Wizard of Oz, don't look at the man behind the curtain. And there has been no leader as strong as Mao since now. Zhao Jiangping is, is even, I think he's worse. How many people are now going through those education camps, as they call them? Uh, it's actually slave labor. The Uyghurs, the Christians, the political prisoners, the Uyghurs, you know, and no one's saying anything. The Fulangang, throw them. No, it doesn't matter. Massive incarcerations, free slave labor, and you get your American products in Walmart. Uh, you, you're absolutely correct, Annie. Uh, it's just it's not only happening. Uh, you know, if you go to China, they arrange a, a, a translator for you. They will. Uh, there are a lot of things they are trained before they can even get a job opportunity of being a translator to help the foreigners, right? So, but how you know you 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 don't need to see all those things. You just need to see you know uh, the the reports uh, to the public events like uh, the Chinese leaders uh, meeting with. Uh, uh, the leader of the Western War, a leader of the United States. You know, the, the two sides, the leaders, they openly 
bulk, right? Everybody watch. But then you you look at the Chinese version of the uh, say American president or, or British government uh, prime minister's speech. They always alter. There's a lot of words being censored. It's just it, it's just like lies. <laughs> it's just lies in front of everyone. They don't care. I mean, they don't even care about your criticism. They just I mean they they just do it. It's been a tradition. So. <laughs> So that's just the the reality. That is, that is. You know, we've had so many guests come in and talking about uh, China. And, you know, I first began to learn more about it when I had the pleasure of meeting my friend Gordon Chang. And he wrote that book about the coming collapse of China. But there there, there is an economic problem they have. And they're hiding it from the rest of the world. There's this Evergrande. Uh, that has been sagging, and they have so many billions of dollars in loans out there that they're going to default on. So China's looking for any and every market to get an influx of money to come in. And they're just letting them free reign. Now, this is a way to collapse China if we can economically make it collapse. Well, uh, actually, uh, if Someone is actually waiting for that to happen. I was I would suggest that not to wait for that. That China's economy will not collapse until the Chinese Communist Party's collapse. So uh, and that's how and then and all these talk uh, discussion about uh, China's economic collapse. That's uh, really misleading, in my own opinion. I mean, look at. Uh, Look at the the you know how they when they they when they started talking about China's coming collapse. That's in they talk about it in two or one. I mean, in the last twenty years, China's economy grew ten times bigger uh, after they joined WTO. From the two or one to twenty eleven, that ten years they grow five times bigger, and then from twenty eleven to this year, that's another double. So it's a total ten times bigger. So. Uh, now there are two reasons behind this Evergrande. Now, of course, they want more more money from the West. Uh, it's better because that's the way they will they they want to trap us there. So uh, so they will end up the gov- Chinese government will have more influence in the Western world because they build more uh, common interests with uh, certain uh, groups in the Western world that's always help Chinese government to have to make more influence in the Western world. And another uh, reason, uh, Evergrande, Evergrande is not going to collapse. Basically, it will basically become a, a government-owned entity. And with some certain uh, uh, percentage of a private ownership either belong to uh, original company or all the Western uh, investors, uh, China, uh, Xi Jinping, in, in this process, that what they have been, they have been really waiting for this moment to take a charge of these huge companies because the huge private business in China has been also considered, uh, also been considered by CCP a threat to, to their uh, uh, ruling power. So they have been waiting for this perfect storm to them, so they will come. They will take over, and so basically most of the shares, I mean, will be low-bought by the uh, the Chinese communist regime for the purpose. I'm not sure if you heard 
late, late, lately, the uh, Xi Jinping and Chinese state-owned media has all have all been talking about this so-called common prosperity. You know, the the old uh, uh, slogan used by Chairman Mao, the common prosperity. They've been asking all these private business giants to donate money uh, to uh, to the government, to the uh, uh, wherever uh, the 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 the, the, uh, the business run by government that's been really in trouble. So uh, so that's what they're they're going backwards. They're going back to uh, the Chairman Mao's stage and. Now, uh, back in, uh, if you trace back all the way going back to 1981, uh, uh, that's five years after the, uh, uh, the end of a cultural revolution, uh, uh, China's economy at that time is all at the edge of a total collapse. So that's, uh, that's the time they start talking about a theory, a theory that China was still in the elementary stage of socialism, and therefore they say in the elementary stage of of socialism, they will allow capitalism to play a role as a supplement to the central plan economy. Now that theory has been there for forty years. You never know. One day they will say, "Hey, states." They finish that stage. They're moving on to the next stage. So the private business will be gradually squeezed. You know, uh, they don't need a supplement anymore. So that's like there. And people are really concerned for a long time. You because you don't know. They they won't they won't let you know which day they will say this. They would all they need to do is just send the document out. They will officially end the period. So um, that's been there a long time. It's a time bomb. You don't know when it's going to explode. And everyone's saying, oh, but China is finally embracing democracy. Hong Kong democracy, I, I believe that protest is actually dead at this point. They did it to, um, oh, good Lord, Singapore. They, they've done it every single time anyone tried to raise up with, you know, seeking democracy. They just had an election in Hong Kong, and on, they only allowed one uh, resistance leader to be elected. Only one. And do you see any more protests coming out of Hong Kong? They recently, in October, had a the remembrance to uh, Tiananmen Square on October 1st, and 12 of those leaders were jailed for, you know, doing the Tiananmen Square remembrance. There's never going to be democracy in China as long as the Communist Party exists. And it is it is a Goliath that has no place to go. It, it, it's China now. Uh, it's actually true. Well, that that 12 leaders uh, belong to the uh, organization. This is That organization is actually the last organization the last organization that actually on the 25th of this month, uh, uh, I mean actually on the uh, September 25th, it make a public announcement, disband all its operations. And that organization's name is called Hong Kong Alliance in support of democ- uh, patriotic democratic movement in China. So that's the... Uh, 
that's actually that all the other uh, uh, pro-democracy movement already dissolved uh, in the last few years. This is the last one. It just recently, in, in the past week, uh, openly disbanded its operations. Uh, and that trial leader was actually sentenced uh, six to ten months because they organized the last year, actually the 2020s, June 4th, uh, Kendall Vigenai, uh, 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 memorial uh, uh, activity has been have it has been taking place for 30 years ever since 1989. Each year there were like over 100,000 people joined the Kendall Vigenai uh, service. Now, uh, actually, in in the end of August, at the end of August, the Hong Kong authority uh, opened uh, issue an order and asked this organization to hand in. Uh, the information of all their meeting records, all the per- their membership information, personal membership information, as well as all their finance, financial resource information in everything 2014. So, so, so that's how they, they dis- basically disband their operation. They say, well, we no longer exist because they don't want to give the information out. But immediately after they make an announcement, they disband the operation. The Chinese government basically uh, sent another notice, uh, public notice that just because you closed your organization doesn't mean we're not going to go backwards to, to chase all these activities. So they still want those information. So uh, that top leaders, a couple of them actually in possession of those information, they may see more sentence coming in the next few months. It's really a sad situation in Hong Kong right now. Well, Nansu, it has been a pleasure having you. We say prayers for the people in Hong Kong uh, because it's going to be a horrible awakening when they finally find out what true communism is about. We'd love to have you back on again. If Mark can't make it again, you're fantastic. I love you. People can find you at the Heritage Foundation at heritage.org. Nansu, thank you. God bless you for the hard work you do, sir. Thank you, Annie. Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. Take care. All right, Nansu, check him out at heritage.org. He's the senior correspondent over there. Uh, check him out. We have our final victim in on the line. He was the former secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs. He is now a visiting fellow over at Heritage Foundation. Oh, I said Nansu over at uh, Heritage. He's over at Epic. Oh, man, just shoot me. Just shoot me. I'm sorry about that, folks. Nansu with Epic Times. Check him out over there. Yeah, I want to welcome on now <laughs> Secretary Robert L. Wilkie. Good afternoon, Secretary. How are you today? I, I am just fine. How are you? I'm, I'm losing my mind. I'm, I'm putting the wrong guest no. to the rock. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's been a long, going on three hours, long three hours. Holy moly, moly, moly. You know, uh, everything that people are talking about currently is this withdrawal from um, Afghanistan. Oh, man, what a debacle. What a debacle. I've had several guests on earlier. We were talking about, you know, uh, Biden had uh, signed that U.N. treaty, it seems, which still it's invalid because it wasn't ratified by the, the Senate, and it's not in consent and it's not constitutional. 
but where are they going to get their guns from? Well, we left a whole treasure trove over in Afghanistan, and lo and behold, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood and some of these other radical Muslim groups have connections to the cartels. So where do you think those guns are going to go? Gee, and well, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah they're, they're in the hands of, uh, of the Taliban, and I'm, I'll just put on my former hat. I was under Secretary of Defense at the beginning of the Trump administration, and I still serve in the Air Force Reserve. I'm a, I'm a colonel. And there's never been anything like what we have seen in, in Afghanistan. It's one thing to argue the strategic value of either staying or withdrawing from Afghanistan, but it's another when the President of the United States ignores military advice as to how to get Americans out of that cauldron. And we now know, despite what he said, he ignored every general officer who came to him and said, we, we can't get Americans out with what you are uh, telling us to do. And you won't find any case in American history where a president of the United States has so fallen down in, was so derelict in his most basic function and that is to protect Americans. And, and it's not new for Joe Biden. He has a 40, 50-year track record of this. And if you don't believe me, you can, you can listen to Barack Obama. You can listen to former Defense Secretary Bob Gates. Um, I'll give you one example as to what I mean. In 1975, the North Vietnamese broke the Paris Peace Accords. They broke the treaty. Mm-hmm. Um, they launched a massive conventional attack on South Vietnam. They were in the open. Tens of thousands of their troops were open. They had hundreds of tanks. Gerald Ford, our president, said it is time for the United States Air Force to just devastate them. But it's post-Watergate, so he has to go to the Congress, and they have to consent for him to launch the aircraft. Well, they did, except for one United States senator, who held up Gee. our response, and that was Gee. the newly minted senator from mm-hmm. Delaware, Joseph Biden. Uh, and even the one success, Andy, that the Obama administration had in national security policy, which was the death of Osama bin Laden, Biden opposed it. He opposed yep. that as well. And for 50 years, we've been fortunate not to have him near the levers of kinetic power. He could just talk Mm. in the United States Senate. But now, sadly, he is, and uh, we see what has happened. Americans have died. Uh, We've been humiliated. And um, unlike Donald Trump, Joe Biden ripped apart the Western alliance. And if you don't believe me, you you can take Angela Merkel's word, Emmanuel Macron's word, and Boris Johnson's word. Uh, That wasn't Donald Trump that ripped it apart. It was Joseph Biden. You know, I remember sitting uh, at home watching on TV the fall of Saigon, and I was crying. I was absolutely crying. And when we watched the fall of Kabul, I looked at my mom, and I said, this looks familiar, the fall of Saigon. But this is worse. This is far worse. At least we... We got our people out. We got yeah. our people out first. And yeah. I, I, I just shook my head. I said, when did we ever not get our people out first 
And then the right. military outlast after every single piece of military equipment was destroyed. When we right. left um, Iraq, uh, I remember uh, reading that one of the generals turned around as he was walking out the gate, saw an American cooler with a flag on it. And he sent the soldier back. He says, not one piece of America stays here. You take that with us. Right. Right. And that well, that, that's exactly here. right. Yeah, and, and I'll go back to my childhood. When Saigon fell, my father was a senior officer in the 82nd Airborne Division and had served multiple tours in Vietnam, had been badly wounded in the invasion of Cambodia. And I can remember the expressions on the faces of incredibly hardened, decorated combat leaders when Saigon fell. And I never thought I would see that happen again. But you were right. The scenes from Saigon were Americans getting out our Vietnamese friends. It wasn't getting out Americans. We'd started that process two years before. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that is the difference. Um, but the sad thing is we've got three more years of this left. And, and that, that is frightening because in the days of Vietnam, we had one major foe. It was a one-dimensional, brutish Soviet Union. Uh, today, we have China, we have Russia, we have Iran, and the junior partner in that evil, evil group is uh, North Korea. Um, to me, China represents a, a much greater long-term threat than the Soviet Union ever did. And, and we have shown um, the world what weak leadership is, and um, American interests will now be challenged on a consistent basis uh, for the next three years. And don't think the Taliban didn't know Joe Biden's track record. I mean, they're pretty savvy political actors. They kept their heads down when Donald Trump was in office because they'd seen him take out the world's number one terrorist, General Soleimani. They'd seen him kill Russians. Russian mercenaries who were sent to Syria by Putin to assist the Iranians and the Assad regime, and President Trump had no compunction in taking them out either. And if you notice that Putin was uh, on his best behavior uh, during those years as well. So um, that, that's the major difference between what we're seeing now and what we had four year, for four years under Trump. And there is a big difference. You know, if you think of Putin under Obama parading on that horse, you know, bare-chested to show how masculine and how strong he is, you didn't see him do that under Trump. And now all no, he has to do is just yeah. sit back and insult yeah. Biden. Well, and, and look at the, the, the primary example of what you just said, uh, the fight in Ukraine. Uh, the Russians had taken Crimea under Obama. Um, they were massing their troops on the Ukrainian border. Um, all Obama did was send them meals ready to eat. When Trump got in, the Ukrainians all of a sudden had a pipeline to uh, missiles that could take down Russian uh, helicopters and aircraft, anti-tank weapons that neutered um, Putin's uh, advantage in heavy armor. And the nonsense stopped. Well, as soon as Biden comes in, the Russians, again, start massing their troops along the Ukrainian border, um, knowing that uh, this president has resumed the pipeline of, of hot meals instead of ammunition and 
munitions that could take out uh, Putin's arsenal. You know, it's actually giving Putin an excuse not only to go uh, westward, I mean eastward, but to go northward towards the Baltic states, Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia, because the port of Riga is such a precious port. I mean, and and the Latvians are going to fight. My my father-in-law, I never had a chance to meet him, was a major in the Latvian army fighting the Nazis and the Russians. And they, when Latvia got free, they actually went into the main cemetery in Riga and started to dig up the Russians and send them back to Moscow. Right. It's going to be a bloody mess. It is going to be a bloody mess. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, the the last thing I'll say, and um, it's another sad commentary. Uh, Somebody asked me a couple of days ago if heads should roll. And, of course, uh, as the general said, this is all at the feet of, of, of Joe Biden, which is fascinating because I don't know of any instance in our history when two four-star generals and a retired four-star general said, this is all on the president. But we have a secretary of state now who has unleashed the United Nations Human Rights Council to come determine whether the United States is a fallen nation. And this is the UN Human Rights Council that has on its membership Iran, Venezuela, Russia, and China. And this State Department has said we need to be chastised by the United Nations Human Rights Council and its its gang of and its professional thugs. Um, so that that is what what we are dealing with. People who, on a good day, uh, believe their only mission in life is to manage American decline um, and not celebrate the greatness of this nation and herald that this is the only nation in the history of the world that's offered a helping hand to all the peoples of the world, uh, including its enemies. And it's a very sad time. It is. I I never thought I would see our nation to fall to such ruin in such a short time. It hasn't been over years. It's been now just months where we were coming back up in power and strength and glory and in just a, a handful of months, nine months, we have gone from the highest to our lowest ever. And it's right, not over right. yet, folks. It's not over. And uh, Lieutenant Colonel Schuler is sitting behind bars because he spoke truth. And I've, I've never known anyone to be thrown behind bars for speaking out. Yeah, you're relieved of your command. You may be suspended. You may lose your and be uh, discharged, dishonorably discharged. Fine. But throw him in jail. That's just to silence him, and that is to, to well, use him as an example for anyone else that wants to speak out. Yeah. And, and, and I would also add to that the, the people most responsible for this are going to walk away, and they will get their uh, nice jobs at Harvard and Yale and with big companies, and I'm talking about the, the current Secretary of State and the National Security Advisor. Uh, particularly in the case of the National Security Advisor, has absolutely no operational experience and has been left in control of United States foreign and military policy. And that is that is a great tragedy. You know, there's so much going on, so many undercurrents, 
And everywhere you look, you see the handprints of China. Uh, China now has access to the new world caliphate that's being formed between Tajikistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, Iran. It is a, a beltway for the new Muslim caliphate to be led, as I've been saying over and over again, by the Communist Chinese Party. And they have their bridges and roads that they're using. Uh, we'll help you build your factories. Let us go mine your rare earth, your gold. Right. We need that so we can right. build the electric cars that President yeah. Biden said we will all be driving. Right. You know, it's a well, new form in which to control the globe. Yeah. Well, that's certainly their their goal, and that is for the entire world to pay Tribute to the Mandarins, um, and if you if you don't believe that, you just look at the way our Secretary of State behaved when the Foreign Minister of the Communist Party of China came to Alaska and harangued Mr. Blinken with all of America's sins, and of course all he was doing was reading Joe Biden's speeches, and what Mr. Blinken did was simply take it and then say America is imperfect. Now, if that had been you, if that had been Richard Nixon or Donald Trump, uh, the response would have been, we are not going to be lectured uh, by a country that has murdered 100 million of its own people uh, since 1949. And what does this administration do on top of that? It sends birthday greetings yesterday uh, for the 70-whatever, mm -hmm. 72nd anniversary of the, the seizure of power. Uh, by the Communist Party of China. So um, that, uh, I think that says it all and answers your question about what we're dealing with. It's uh, Tiananmen Square worldwide. And, oh, by the way, as I was talking to our previous guest, you know, the, the last leaders from that Tiananmen Square uh, remembers that they just occurred are all sitting in jail. And they're demanding yes. to know who the rest of the members are. And this is... Tiananmen Square on a world stage, and we're the little guy holding the paper bags about ready to be run over, and we're about to be ready to be run over big time unless we as a nation make our voices heard so loud that our leadership has no choice but to listen. Right, right. Yes, just uh, very sad times. And, and I'll give you one last uh, anecdote from my childhood. I mentioned growing up at Fort Bragg. When the hostages were taken in Tehran, about three months after that occurred, right outside the main entrance to Fort Bragg, which is the home of America's most decorated combat force, the 82nd Airborne, also the home of Army Special Forces, a billboard went up that said, Iran, let our people go. And we had to pass that billboard every day on the way to school. And as I got older, I thought, um, that's what America had become. Uh, plaintiff whales on billboards uh, asking people to be easy on us. And I think we've returned in spades uh, to that uh, mentality with this president because at least Jimmy Carter admitted his mistakes. When the uh, operation to rescue the hostages failed, he went on national television and said, this is me, it is not the military. And then he started putting in place programs that eventually helped bring the Soviet Union down, like the uh, B-1 bomber and the M-1 tank and 
Minuteman missiles. So uh, don't expect any active contrition from Mr. Biden. No, no, not at all, not at all. But what we're going to be seeing now, and these incidents are starting more and more, and I'm getting reports of these, that Muslim passengers are starting to act up on flights. And recently on a jet flu, jet, not jet flu, jet blue flight from Boston to Puerto Rico, he became so unruly that he started uh, sh- uh, choking the flight attendant, shouting mm-hmm. Allah, at, demanding to be let wow. into the cockpit. Something is, is brewing. They're testing our pilots. They're testing our airlines. They're looking to see where the the air marshals are, if they're on the flights at all. So uh, are you hearing things? Are you hearing the top talks like I I am? I haven't heard that particular incident, but I certainly see around the globe that um, the threat levels are up. Um, This administration, I'll give you an example. Uh, Great Britain lost 450 troops in Afghanistan. And this president uh, not only did not tell the British we were leaving, uh, he refused to take the call from the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Now, can you imagine that our closest cultural and military ally uh, could not even get a phone call returned from the President of the United States? Um, That is pointing in a very dangerous direction. And... um, uh, we're in for a very rough ride. And it, we are. And you didn't hear a peep from mainstream media about these British troops that heroically gave their lives. No, you know. no, no, absolutely not. That would, you know, and, and the interesting thing is, that, at least I see, when the Democrats are in the White House, uh, it is the party of the media. And the media wanted to herald Joe Biden's uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan. But they couldn't hide the pictures of people falling out of the wheel wells of planes as much as they wanted to get beyond this. Um, And they can't hide the pictures coming from the border. But it's all the same mentality. I mean, you just mentioned about Muslim agitation in the world. Uh, They've unleashed thousands of people from Afghanistan who've not been vetted by anyone, the military or the State Department. And they're also unleashing thousands and thousands of people into the interior of the country uh, at our southern border who've not been vetted by anyone. But the media is invested in open borders, as is the president. And uh, the American people are not uh, seeing or hearing uh, everything that is going on down there. They're not. They're not. And very few people, matter of fact, a previous guest we had on uh, was down at the southern border filming it, and he almost got arrested. He was told he was trespassing when he was on public property. And they're trying to silence any sort of information coming over that southern border. And we have no idea who is coming over. Uh, I'm hearing now Romanians, uh, Haitians, uh, other than Mexicans. Um, we have right. no idea who is coming over. We've known in the past we've had Muslim terrorists come over the southern border because they found the prayer rugs and the Korans in the desert. So who else is coming over? MS-13, we know that. Right. But you also notice uh, that with President Trump, 
there was cooperation from the government of Mexico um, mm-hmm. in keeping people people back. And and again, all you heard about President Trump was that he was this great disruptor that the rest of the world didn't want. Well, we can see from what has happened on our border. We can see with what has happened um, uh, in Afghanistan that President Trump uh, was none of that, uh, but he was somebody who was uh, looking out for the interests of the average American and, and stood up for us uh, uh, overseas. And I can say that as both a former member of his cabinet and also as the former Undersecretary of Defense uh, during his administration. So um, we are, as I've said many times, we are now reaping the whirlwind, and uh, it's not a pretty sight. No, and for some reason, uh, this administration and the Democratic leadership that we have fails to understand the mentality. Our Western mentality is one thing, but if you're Russian, you're Chinese, you're Muslim, you're thinking completely different. We are not capable to comprehend for some reason that we've got to take them at their word. Wasn't it Golda Meir said, when someone says yes. they're going to come kill you, believe, believe me, they're going to come that, kill you? Absolutely. I put that, in fact, I, I put that in a, a piece uh, a few weeks ago, that very quote. And um, you know, you're right. Richard Nixon used to say along that point that the problem we have in national security policy in the United States is that the Russians think in terms of centuries and the Chinese think in terms of thousands of years. And I would certainly point to the radical portion of the Islamic world as being in that category of looking far down the road. Of course, Nixon also said that Americans tend to look five years forward and five years back. And, um, you know, that's often, that is often the case. Well, I think it's not even five years forward. It's more like five months if we're lucky at the rate we're going. But, you know, yeah. there's so much more to talk about. And we're a nation that's in deep trouble. And we've got an election coming up this November 2nd. So there are seats that are up that we can change if, if we get off our butts to do it. So I'm urging yeah. people, don't forget, it is, it, it's an off-election year, but that still means it's not important. It is important because we can take right. some more seats back and, and, and start to change the course and hopefully stop what is going on if we can. But, you know, uh, Sec- Secretary Wilkie, it has been such a fantastic pleasure having you on. Welcome you back well, any, any time. And tell well, Tom I love thank him. Thank you for what you do. I, I've never had, <laughs> I haven't had a chance to meet him, but tell him I, I love the man. <laughs> right. Well, look, you take care of yourself, and uh, thank you for what you do, too. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, catch Robert L. Wilkie, Secretary Wilkie, over at heritageheritage.org. He's got excellent articles up there. Uh, I, I love heritage. I love the Epic Times, too. I get my Epic Times delivered to my mailbox, so, so should you. And I have heritage <laughs> up on my computer all the time. Robert L. Wilkie, thank you, and God bless for the hard work you do. Curtis, we're down to our last few minutes. Um, we've, we're starting to get 
guests for next week. Uh, I have a couple of people yeah. starting to line up, so we'll have a great show as usual. want to thank everyone that has been listening and in the chat room here on Blog Tour Radio, as well as up on YouTube and Facebook and Stitcher and Spreaker and iHeartRadio and all uh, Global Enlightenment Radio and half a dozen other places. I forget where. But remember, do me a favor. If you have an Instagram account, go on to it. Uh, just do the search for Southern Sense, and you're going to see two things pop up, my real one and the fake one. The fake one has an underscore in front of the name. Report it to Instagram. Ask that they take it down. I, I appreciate anyone that can give me a hand with that. It's, but it means something. So someone's attacking me already. They're finding my social networks, and they're trying to go after me. So I'm doing something right. <laughs> so that's all yeah. we got for today. Yeah, that's all we got for today. So I welcome you to join us uh, next week, and uh, like I said, we'll be back with a jammed up uh, pack show, and I'm trying to find my closing. Uh, where the heck did it go? Oh, jeez. Um, where'd it go? I don't know, but uh, pretty soon here I'm oh, going here to um, head up to Jacksonville and enjoy that um, Jacksonville Jazz Festival they got this weekend. For those jazz lovers <laughs> oh. out there, eat your hearts out. <laughs> well, I'll also remind, Will Witt is doing a book signing down in Tampa uh, where you can probably get a sign. well, you will get a signed copy of How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies, Taking on Liberal Arguments with Logic and Humor. Great guests. So I'll leave you with Gary Pecorella, uh, Save America. Until then, I say good night and God bless. Shalom.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.